Welcome to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I started this podcast because of my love for Jessica and Ashley Simpson, but due to the support of my amazing listeners, I have been able to expand to other topics as well to feed my pop culture obsession and yours. Join me as we time travel through some of the most interesting figures in music, movies, TV, and beyond. I'm your host, Leah Russo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of my JC Shazay series. This is part seven, Schizophrenic. In 2004, JC released his one and only solo album, at least the only one that came out, and it was a grab bag of different sounds. A lot of albums choose to be more cohesive, but JC went from rock and roll to R&B to funk to 80s inspired electronica with synths and then to slow and steady ballads, something more like you might hear from NSYNC. It was all over the place in the best way, at least in my opinion, because I love this album. Early on, I didn't love it as much as I do now. I think I was just a little young for this album. It has a lot of mature themes, and I'm not just talking about the obvious overt sexuality. I just think that it was a little sophisticated for my young ears because JC really went there. I mean, yes, he was very frank and explicit sexually, but he also bared his soul on a lot of the songs. And I think that even though he's a pretty mysterious person, he's one of those artists that puts everything into their art. So really, I think he felt like he kind of exposed himself on this album. And then when it didn't do so well, maybe he felt like, damn, I put so much into that and I put myself out there and it didn't get the response that maybe I was looking for. And I think that kind of made him feel not so good. But it seems like at the end of the day, he was really proud of the fact that he got to make his own album his way. We are going to talk about it all. We are going to talk about all the disputes that he had with Jive Records and how they did not really support him as a solo artist but they did give all the support in the world to Justin Timberlake. We are going to talk about the Super Bowl incident that set him back several steps as well, because unfortunately, even though this album had one of the most talented artists of the early 2000s at the center of it, it also had a lot of things working against it, and it was this weird hodgepodge of events that just caused things to not work out in maybe the way they should have. However, JC seems to have a really positive attitude about it today. I do think that if things had gone a little bit better, we probably would have seen more solo music released from JC. So that part of it is very disappointing. But I think knowing that today he seems pretty happy with the life that he has had and he seems content, mostly working behind the scenes in the music industry and Obviously, we have his two musicals to look forward to that he has been working on for years now. Oh my goodness, <laughs> do we have some mind-blowingly 
amazing music coming straight from JC's soul. I mean, when I saw him, he certainly bared his soul on the stage. And if you're not aware of what I'm talking about, go back a few episodes because I did see JC live in August this summer and it was breathtaking. So let's just get into the story of Schizophrenic. So let's set the scene for how Schizophrenic came to be. On April 28, 2002, NSYNC gave their last concert in Orlando, Florida, and after that, JC was basically chillin'. In almost every interview that he did soon after this, where he would be asked what he was up to after NSYNC started their hiatus, he always would say one specific thing, and that's that he was grocery shopping, which I think is so cute (laughs) because... He also would say some other things like, yeah, I'm just taking time to be normal, visit friends and family, and go grocery shopping. (laughs) Like, he just always would mention that, which I think is very telling because when you become a celebrity and your life is going that fast, you don't go grocery shopping. And I think that JC really is such a normal guy. He's not all about the celebrity lifestyle, so... I think he really appreciated being able to just be normal for a while. And I think that any music that he was going to make during this time, at the beginning of the hiatus, it was completely just for fun as far as he was concerned. He could not have stated this enough. I'm telling you in every single interview, they say, oh, so why did you decide to do your solo album? It's always a very similar answer. He stressed over and over and over again that he did not do it for the money. He did not do it to become some solo superstar. He really just wanted to have fun. And I think that shows what a true music lover he really is. He didn't have that ambition and determination and focus that Justin had to create a solo career for himself and to be taken seriously in the music industry. I think it really deeply bothered Justin that he was considered like a teeny bopper. I think it bothered JC too. And I think that's where a lot of the angst and the anxiety on no strings and celebrity came from. But I think that for JC, he was more just happy that he had any outlet to make music successfully. He even told Lance on his podcast recently that he realized he doesn't really like being a solo artist. Look, uh, <laughs> I learned that I don't like being a solo artist, <laughs> which is great. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's a great lesson in itself. Yeah. Um, I like the camaraderie. Yeah. I like being able to look at the person next to me and go, thank you for being here. Thank you for not leaving me alone. Um, it helps me. I'm, I need that. Yeah. And if you've been listening to my series since the beginning, you know that my thesis was, why doesn't he have this huge career? He's so talented. He's so capable. Why hasn't he had success that either matches or is in the same neighborhood as Justin's? And I think that really you could just boil it down to, he doesn't want it. (laughs) You know, I kind of feel like I've already answered the question and we're not even fully done with the series, but... I'll elaborate more on that when we are done with the series and I wrap this up. But 
he had no intention of doing a solo album when he walked off that stage for the last time on the celebrity tour. SFGate.com wrote, After NSYNC decided to take a break, Shazé spent time with his family in Orlando, went grocery shopping, as I said, and tried to digest the insanity of being one-fifth of the most successful boy band ever. There was a lot of reflection, he says. Entertainment Weekly wrote, by Shazé's account, the decision to create a solo album came almost by accident. Sync was on hold and I was on vacation, he says. I just wanted to get back to a normal life, going grocery shopping, <laughs> and being with my family and friends. Shazé was thus chilling at home in L.A. last year when he got a call from Atlanta-based producer Dallas Austin inviting him to hang out in his studio and goof off and have some fun, maybe even record a song if the mood was right. The result was the propulsive blowing me up with her love, which wound up on the soundtrack to the movie Drumline and became a modest hit. That, says Shazé, started the creative wheels turning. After that experience with Dallas, I was like, I don't have a problem making a record if I'm doing it on my terms. So we'll talk more about blowing me up in a minute. But for the majority of 2002, JC seemed to be having a lot of fun. He would do appearances here and there with other members of NSYNC. He spent a lot of time between LA and Orlando. He would mess around in the studio with various collaborators and he was also developing a website called OnlyArtist.com, which I think was actually a really cool concept. And it's very much a concept of 2002 because today it would just be like social media, to be honest. I think that JC was kind of brilliant in his idea for Only Artist. So I do want to quickly cover this here. Now, he wore a shirt that said OnlyArtist.com to the VMAs in 2002. So naturally, as JC girls, we all saw that and we typed in OnlyArtist.com on our computer. So around that time, he was on Kiss FM so that he could explain what the Only Artist project was. He said, quote, it's like a writer's forum. What we'll be doing is I'll be putting tunes on the website which are totally original, like songs that I wrote or whatever, and I'll be giving them away for free. They'll have this area where you can talk about what you like about it, what you don't, and kind of get some ideas about the writing styles, and you know what people like about different things and what they don't. It'll be like an open forum in a way. It's like my way of staying in touch with the fans while everyone's off chilling and everything like that. I honestly think this is such a brilliant idea and I do wonder if there was a way he could do this today where it would really just be genuine fans giving him constructive feedback. Honestly though, I kind of feel like an artist should just make what they make and put it out and if the fans like it, they like it and if they don't, they don't. But I do love the idea that he wanted to keep in touch with fans. Obviously, there was no Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So basically, he's just talking about social media. I mean, right now, if he posted a clip to his Instagram and asked fans for feedback, we could all just give it to him and there would be, you know, hundreds of comments within an hour and he could get an idea. But that wasn't something that he could conceive of really at this time. For months, Only Artist was just 
a welcome page and you could put your email in and sign up to get an email when it officially launched. And I remember doing that, but I don't remember any follow-up. I don't remember getting the email that it launched. I kind of just forgot about it and then suddenly it was gone. It was gone. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. So I don't really remember what happened. It's been a minute, but it eventually launched officially in February of 2003 and MTV did an article about it and it said, visitors to the site will be faced with three questions about Shazay's current single, Blowing Me Up With Her Love, and his contributions to NSYNC. The feedback will then be used to help mold his as-yet-untitled album, which he's currently recording in L.A. JC will then periodically post snippets of the fruits of his labor for the next four weeks on the site for fans to comment on, and the response will help guide him throughout the rest of the recording process. The portions of the songs offered on the site, however, will not be what winds up on the album. Complete versions of those songs may be offered on the website in the future. Since InSync's been chilling and we haven't been on the road or in contact with all our fans and everything, I needed to find a way to interact with them. He's so sweet. How many other, like, I know I sound like a freaking fangirl, but how many other celebrities are genuinely like, I need to find a way to interact with these fans? (laughs) He continued, I also wanted to show my appreciation. I'm going to put songs out there, not only from my record, but I'm going to give them something free. After I'm done putting together my album, I want to give them something special because I want them to know that I still care. I, how is he real? Like, where did he come from? I think that was a really great idea, and maybe because social media started to develop, it just kind of got scrapped, because obviously JC wasn't going to become like a Mark Zuckerberg or something like that. I doubt he would want to focus all of his energy and attention on building something like that, but it was a really interesting idea, and I and I really appreciate how thoughtful JC is when he's talking about his fans and his music. The fact that he would even want our opinion, I think, is amazing especially at this point when he is a superstar and he was in the biggest band in the world at that point a lot of people become cocky like they're not thinking oh I hope my fans know that I still care about them you know what I mean he's just he's such a good egg he's so uniquely kind and caring I just (sighs) JC Shazay supremacy like that's all I have to say actually I have a lot more to say (laughs) Because you're listening to my podcast. All right, so let's talk about Blowing Me Up. Toward the end of 2002, the soundtrack for the movie Drumline was being prepared by Jive Records, who was also the label of, of course, NSYNC and Justin. They were producing the album. Dallas Austin, who's worked with Madonna, Michael Jackson, TLC, Gwen Stefani, Pink, Boys to Men, Janet Jackson. I mean, the list goes on. He had been hired by Jive to write some songs, produce some songs for this. We really have Dallas Austin to thank for the fact that we got any JC solo music at all. Because like I said, he really had no intention of releasing an album coming straight off of NSYNC. It really took Dallas telling him, hey, These songs that you've written with me and produced with me are actually really good and the world should hear them and you should just go for it. JC and Dallas actually submitted four songs for the Drumline soundtrack and Jive chose Blowing Me Up and rejected the other three. So 
just putting it out there, on my Christmas list, I have these three songs, and I'm hoping Santa can deliver them in some way. Where are they? Does Dallas have them? Does JC have them? I'm just saying I want to hear these because Blowing Me Up was such a uniquely bombastic pop song that had elements of other styles in it as well. And it was just such a out of left field song. It didn't really sound like a lot of what was popular on the radio at the time, which of course lines up with everything else we know about JC. And like that article said, it was a modest hit. It wasn't a number one, but a lot of people remember this song. When I'm just casually talking with people and they ask me what's been going on, what I've been up to, and I tell them that I've been doing a JC series for my podcast, a lot of people bring this up. Of course, the first thing they bring up is in sync, but they'll say, oh yeah, I loved that song that he did. You hear that from a lot of people. This song was really memorable and so was the music video but I just thought this was a really cute story so unfortunately JC didn't get to perform this song too much but one of the performances he did do was on the Wango Tango show now the movie Drumline a drumline is in a school band right so JC had a high school band come perform with him at his Wango Tango show and then a couple of the other promotional appearances that he did. And so I found a testimonial from one of the students. Our local high school band, La Puente High, was one of the bands that performed with JC. JC was so excited about what our little band could do, he invited the seven members of our drumline to join him at the Zootopia concert in New York. Our kids will be flying to New York as well as hanging out with JC at his expense the entire weekend. He is giving these kids from predominantly low-income families a chance of a lifetime. These kids and their parents are grateful for the generosity of a musician that is truly giving back and not just to his community, but to a community that doesn't have much. I don't think that JC is aware of what a wonderful opportunity he has given to such a talented group of high school students. Again, I mean, I'm just gushing over him. I just think he has the greatest personality. I <laughs> just like, what an angel. How exciting. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> what an awesome thing for him to do. Now we have to talk about the music video because this was a huge production with a major budget. This is one area where JC actually did receive some label support and funding, which would not always be the case. Uh, probably because it was involved with the promotion of a movie. So it didn't just have the Jive Records money behind it. It also had the movie studio money behind it. And as a result, the video did pretty well as far as making a splash on TRL and, like I said, being memorable. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
it's just a strange video, but yeah. it's going to be really cool. This song is so fun. J.C. Chazé goes solo. I join the Insinker on the set of the explosive video of Blowing Me Up With Her Love, a song which she also wrote for the soundtrack of the film Drumline. Enter the world of Mad Max and dance. These are actually cars from the Mad Max movie, which is really cool. It just happened by a fluke accident that they were here. So, could a solo project be in the works? I don't want to feel pressured or anything like that, so I think I'm just going to go in the studio and write, and whatever happens, happens. I'm not going to sit here and say it was like an iconic video, because I'm trying to take off my stand goggles a little bit and be objective. So I do feel like memorable is the right word because people do remember this video for the most part. The video was directed by Brian Barber, who JC had reached out to because he loved Brian's work with Outkast on their music video for the whole world. And he later went on to direct Hey Ya, which made him totally iconic because that was one of the biggest hits and biggest videos of the decade, never mind the year. Brian described the video, which was shot at a junkyard in the San Fernando Valley, as, quote, a rock and roll version of Mad Max. We got cars being crushed, monster trucks, explosions, and weird-looking people, <laughs> Barber said. We got pyrotechnics and a drag race type thing. It's a real fun video. The music video appears to be set in a post-apocalyptic world. I never thought of it like that, but I guess it is. Shazay sings the song with a marching band in the background played by the RCC marching band. So, giving another band a huge opportunity. He also pursues his love interest, Tara Reed, at a monster truck rally, a rundown diner, and a car junkyard. Initially, she is not interested in Shazay, but has a change of heart midway and straddles him on the diner's counter. <sighs> Some girls have all the luck. I, I just, ugh, I can't. What's up, BT? This is Brian Barber. I'm the director of the video for JC. We're on the set out here in L.A., in the junkyard doing some crazy stuff. The director, Brian, Brian came up with a concept and then I kind of throw my 50,000 cents in and then we end up in a place like this. She gets out the booth, she goes over to uh, the stools and that's when you guys do the whole interaction. This video shoot is based on a just a pure concept. The whole thing just has a unique look about it. We got, you know, crazy looking folks around. It's, this is kind of like our world, our reality. And it's just gonna be a lot of fun to watch. It's just, a, it's a great feel good song. So uh, if you guys can keep up, we'll have some fun. It's oh so tight like dynamite, blowing me up with her love. I'm actually gonna introduce BET to Tara Reid. Hi honey, she's, uh, she's actually doing me a favor. Uh, I needed to have a love interest and she's like my buddy. So the best part about making this video is working with JC. You get to hang out with your friends, man. And you say she's just a friend. And you say she's just a friend. This is a scene where I'm constantly pursuing her. It's like I got to have her. She's like, you know, she... I want nothing to do with him. I think I'm scaring him a little uh, No, she scared me a little I'm, bit. I'm she was like, you don't know. I'm an actress. I know how to do this. Hold on. <laughs> he was like, whoa. I was like, okay. Hey, I just sit in the studio and sing the songs, man. I talked a lot about JC and Tara Reed in a Patreon bonus episode. So you can go to patreon.com slash Ashley and Jessicast if you want to hear that because there was way too much tea and speculation in that one to put on the public feed. So you can join if you want to hear that. But Tara and JC have both told the story many times about how she actually was not 
the model that was chosen for the video. So Tara just totally did JC a favor by showing up at the last minute and saving the day. And so this video was nominated for a VMA for Best Video from a Film. Unfortunately, it did not win because that was the year that Eminem did 8 Mile. So obviously he won for that. But the video actually did pretty well on TRL. So it debuted on TRL on December 21st, 2002. It debuted at number 10 the next day. It climbed the charts, and on December 26th, it was number two to Justin's number one. Of course, (laughs) it was on the countdown every single day until it retired on March 3rd. 2003. So fans were consistently voting. There were multiple efforts made by JC and InSync fan sites and fan groups, street teams, etc. to get everyone to vote and blow up the call-in lines, no (laughs) pun intended, to request the song. Now, again, this is before social media, so... These NSYNC fans and JC girlies, I'm sure some of you out there are listening, you did such a good job getting people involved. And I was brutal with (laughs) people for not voting for JC. Like, I literally would go into school and be like, did you vote? (laughs) I'd be like, "Um, excuse me, JC was number five yesterday on TRL. And then today he was number six. Like, what happened? Why didn't you vote? Because... Voting for TRL for those few years, it was really a big deal, especially with the Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC stuff, which I have another Patreon episode about that topic as well. Just the whole feud, if that's what you want to call it. I covered that. I think it turned out really interesting, especially from my perspective as somebody that has always been like firmly planted in Team NSYNC, but I also do really like the Backstreet Boys and appreciate them. So that was really fun to do. But with JC, it was like more serious because (laughs) it was like he was on his own and I just really wanted him to do well. I mean, we really were dialing that TRL phone number so often. I think we wore out the writing on the buttons. Like we wore out the numbers (laughs) from calling so many times because every time you called, it counted. So you just kept calling. Videos could appear on the countdown for 50 days before they would retire. And if your video retired, that meant that it was a very successful video because it was voted for every single time. It stayed on the countdown through the entire run that they allow. So that was awesome. Unfortunately, he didn't have as much luck on the charts in the future. So this was his most successful music video and his most successful single by far. So before the success of these songwriting sessions with Dallas, JC had actually been throwing around the idea of getting into acting. He had a bunch of scripts that he was looking at. He did some television appearances, little cameos here and there. So MTV News reported that JC's first solo album might be coming soon. They said he is laying down more tracks with hit-making veteran Dallas Austin. We've been doing some great, great material, Austin said. At first he wasn't going to do a record, but now I think he's kind of interested, so we'll probably just keep recording. We were just writing songs for the movie, and we caught a niche, and it was like, oh shit, this is cool for you. Let's keep going. 
JC said, he's like, you've got too much to say. You know, there's no reason why you shouldn't. You're writing songs anyway. And I kind of went home and looked at myself in the mirror and was like, dude, you're not an actor. (laughs) I love him. I don't know what you're thinking with that pile of books and stuff like that over there. I do that stuff to take my mind off of doing music, but at the end of the day, I want to be in the studio. I had to look at myself in the face and go, you can do TV shows, but remember, that's not what you do for a living, dude. You do records for a living. Actually, Dallas said it was a shame for me not to share my talent with everyone, Shazay says. That, I'm so proud of him for saying because he's usually so modest, he's never the first one to say something like that. So when he does have that moment where he's outwardly confident like that, I love that for him because he's always confident, but he has like a quiet confidence, you know? So I just love that he made that statement. And it's just nice to see that he took Dallas's advice seriously and was starting to get excited about the possibility of him having a solo album come out. So we all have to send edible arrangements to Dallas. We really owe him so much. Also in December of 2002, JC put on a free show on the Sunset Strip House of Blues. Jive Records said that the show was to help gauge the public's reaction to some of the songs that JC had been working on. Jive Records affiliate Monopoly Records, who put the show together, said, JC is looking forward to perform his music, which he deems to be a more accurate reflection of his true personality in front of a live audience for the first time. Now, I could not find anything about this show. I am guessing that it was just like, I don't know, probably five songs. It was a little showcase. It wasn't really advertised because even the diehard JC girlies that were around and going to stuff to see the guys back in the day, they did not go to this, don't remember this. So it definitely was under the radar. And I think maybe JC didn't want to make a big deal out of it because he was still in the infant stages of creating this album. I mean, it wouldn't end up coming out until February of 2004. So maybe he downplayed it. Kind of like the event in Ojai (laughs) when Callie and I were telling him, it's a really big deal that you're going to be singing on stage again. Like, we're really excited. And he was like, no, 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 no. It's not a big deal. And we were like, hmm. It is. In January 2003, JC appeared at the American Music Awards, and on the red carpet, he said, I'm still in the very beginning stages, but I'm going back in the studio this month, and we'll see what happens. So in April of 2003, an MTV News article came out that basically was updating JC's fans on the recording process, and he even revealed a couple of the titles that he was throwing around and considering for the album. And one of them was the title that he did end up choosing, which is, of course, Schizophrenic. So I kind of want to get this out of the way right now. It's just a really unfortunate title. Now, we know that JC seems like a very thoughtful, intelligent, kind person. We know he was not trying to hurt anybody. He was not trying to make fun of people with this mental illness or any mental illness, right? We know his intentions were not bad. But it's very tone deaf to name your album after a mental illness. 
maybe if you had the mental illness, it would be more appropriate. But of course, he doesn't. And so first, I'm going to read his reasoning for this. So Hip Online asked him about the title. And he said, I didn't have a title before I had finished the record. I basically had to sit back. And after I put this collection of material together, I was just like, how does this all fit together? You know, when I was thinking about it, it was just like every song really just has its own life, its own personality. And they're really different from each other. And, you know, whenever you hear about people with schizophrenia, it's just, you know, that's what it is. They're just two totally different personalities. And so that's how the title came about. Now, that doesn't really make sense, right? Because one thing he is absolutely right about is that every song on this album seems different from the one before. It feels like every song is such a seismic shift <laughs> into a different direction. There's no cohesion on this album. Sonically, it doesn't flow like a river. It instead is like little spurts coming out of a hose. And it doesn't mean that they're not great spurts. <laughs> But like I said, there isn't a clear flow. Some people feel that hurts the album. Some people feel that it's great. Why not put out a grab bag of different sounds? Why limit yourself? Be free. Do whatever the hell you want. But that's not schizophrenia. <laughs> I'm not trying to drag him. But it sounds like what he's really referring to is DID dissociative identity disorder or multiple personality disorder, right? You could compare this album to multiple personalities. That it's not a good idea to compare an album to a mental illness, especially one that causes as much destruction in people's lives as DID or schizophrenia. But that would make more sense, right? It's like people that are schizophrenic aren't necessarily people that have two different personalities. I'm not going to speak too much on it because I am not an expert on it, but that's not how I know it to be categorized, right? It also really just depends on the severity of the illness and other things that are going on in the person's life. And there's things that trigger it. There's flare-ups. And then other times they might be doing a lot better. And it's just, it's not something that you want to title an album. But back in 2003, People just didn't care about this stuff. Mental health was not talked about. It just wasn't something that people were sensitive about. It was still something that was very much stigmatized. And he probably thought he was being edgy and cool and different by naming it after a serious mental illness. Now that sounds crazy, I know, because everything now is so like... There's so much awareness of these kinds of things and everybody has to be so politically correct or they get canceled and all that kind of stuff. And look, I agree with the criticism. I don't think he should have named the album this, but I think that we have to give him a little bit of a break considering back then people just didn't have the awareness of stuff like this. After the album came out, the publisher of Schizophrenia Digest criticized J.C., not even necessarily because of the title. He was offended that JC wears a straight jacket on the cover, which I agree is just so, like, that is in such poor taste, and I wish he hadn't done it. 
the title is one thing, but if he was just in a regular outfit on the cover, I think it wouldn't have hit as hard. But being in the straight jacket, it just, it, it kind of seemed like he was making a mockery of it. And I feel like you would have to be a big fan like you were me to know that he that he wasn't carelessly doing this in a rude way like he wasn't trying to be distasteful but it was and so the publisher his name is Bill McPhee and he suffers from schizophrenia so he was very sensitive about that understandably and he accused JC of misrepresenting the ailment and contributing to the public's misunderstanding, which is true. It's not multiple personality disorder. Like, I get what he was saying. He's saying, like, it's two totally different personalities, meaning when someone who is schizophrenic isn't having a flare-up or isn't triggered, they have a more neurotypical personality or they present that way but then when their illness is triggered suddenly they're like a different person I get what he means but it, it's still not really correct and it's just inappropriate and so to respond to this JC said he chose the album title because of quote the wide range of musical styles in the album and added I apologize to anyone I may have offended with the title and the cover so he apologized I forgive him JC is so unproblematic in basically every other way. So we're just going to give him a pass on this one, or at least I am. If you're personally offended by this, I'm so sorry. And I'm sure JC is too. But let's focus more on the music. So MTV News really had JC's back during this whole process. They were always releasing new articles to help JC communicate with his fans and let us know what was going on. So when it comes to the type of album that he was making, he said, I have a lot more live music on it, but I also have electronica pieces in there because I love that stuff. So by live music, what he means is live instruments. So at this time, obviously, techno and electronic and basically any sound that could be made with a computer was being used a lot. And using just completely live instruments during your album recording for a pop singer, that was definitely rare. So he wanted to make sure that there were live instruments and that he wasn't just creating beats on a computer. He said, my favorite kind of stuff is super hype music when I'm in the club or something to really zone out so I can drive my car and kind of forget about everything. I definitely incorporated the electronica, but I've also taken the very raw elements as well and mashed the two into this big noisy pit of tones and timing and melody. So as much as I love this album, I get why some people don't like it because honestly, like, the description of mashed the two into this big noisy pit of tones, that's not exactly like, ooh, that sounds like it would be pleasing to my ears, <laughs> you know? But I love him for being different. It's awesome. So they wrote, like Justin Timberlake, Shazay parades his Michael Jackson influence. However, while previewing several of the tracks on Thursday, other names came to his mind, like Prince, Seal, and Jamiroquai. When it comes to writing lyrics, JC can be quirky, as in songs about getting hit by a cannonball or falling in love with an alien, but mostly he tells it like it is. In fact, his other contender for an album title is The Truth. I don't really like that title, but anything would have been better than schizophrenic. <laughs> he could have named it Footstool 
And that would have been better than schizophrenic because it's just not, it's inappropriate, but I digress. He said, even though I have a barrage of material in my mind, it comes out very succinct and very clean, simple and truthful. It can be anything from being out or, of course, the classic thing, being in love or maybe falling out of love. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in my brain, but I think it's stuff that everybody relates to. There's songs about sex, there's songs about drugs, there's songs about relationships. I kind of sailed into this whole project not wanting to think about it, just wanting to let it flow out of me. And I've done that up to this point and I'm really, really, really happy with it because I explored so many different sounds. So let's go through some of the producers that JC was working with during this time. The first one is BT, who produced Pop. I talked a lot about him in the Celebrity Album episode. BT had called up JC because he wanted him to sing the lead single for his fourth studio album called Emotional Technology. The song is called Somnambulist, I hope I'm saying that right, which means simply being loved. And it holds the Guinness World Record for the most vocal edits in a single track with 6,178 in the album version. That's insane. I hope nobody's broken that record because that's too many. But who am I to say I am not the musical genius that BT is? So there was supposed to be at least one song that BT produced with JC that would end up on Schizophrenic. It was called Just Like That, but unfortunately it didn't make the album. They were also working on hip-hop and R&B-based music together, and I'm not sure how many songs they did, but BT described the songs as, quote, more of a party vibe. And he said, I came from working on the score for Monster, this super emotional project, to going with JC, who was like, we're going to do a song about lap dances, BT recalled. It was a nice escape. We had a lot of fun. The song that was supposed to be on the album, now it was on the album as of November 2003. So JC finished Schizophrenic around that time, but because of Jive Records not really quite knowing what to do with him, they kept pushing the album back. So first, the album kept getting pushed back because JC was saying, I'm not done yet. I'm playing around. I'm having fun. I'm experimenting. Don't call me. I'll call you. When I'm ready, I will bring you the tracks and then we can release the album. And so that was kind of frustrating to Jive. And then when JC was done and he was like, here's my album, they were like, we're not going to release it yet. We have to release it at the right time. And so they kept telling him, okay, we'll release it in October. Okay, can you talk to MTV News, do an interview, let them know that we're pushing it back so you can have more time to record, which wasn't even true. JC was done. He would actually openly say it in interviews. He was consistently doing radio interviews and he would just say, I don't know when the album is coming out. And <laughs> I mean, it's embarrassing to the record label, I think, but embarrassing for JC also. I mean, how can you not even know the release date of your own album? I mean, it wasn't his fault at that point. It was very much Jive's fault. But I think that Jive kind of felt like JC had had an attitude with them. And so they felt like, well, you are not our priority if you're not going to listen to anything we say and just mess around for a couple of years and have fun in the studio with your friends. They were happier with somebody like Justin who was more moldable and 
was more open to kind of playing the game of the music industry. As I've expressed many times, I especially talked about this in my last episode about the NSYNC hiatus, JC just was not willing to paint an album by numbers and do something that was palatable to the label and palatable to the masses. And I think that his desire to do whatever he wanted was kind of perceived as arrogant from Jive. I think they were kind of coming at this as, hey, we're representing you. We signed you as a solo artist. You need to listen to us and you need to deliver when we're telling you to deliver. And instead, JC was like, look, I'm not even going to do this if you don't leave me alone and let me do whatever I want. So if you don't want to work together, that's fine. Like, I don't have that deep desire. I have to be a solo artist and I have to get my album out now and I have to do this. He didn't have that. So basically, anytime Jive disagreed with him, he was just like, mm, all right, whatever. You know, like, I don't care. If, if you don't want to let me do it my way, then I won't do this at all. Whereas I feel like Justin, as I've said, he had such a sharp focus. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. He wanted to be known as a solo artist that was not just like, and I say that in quotes, a teen pop boy bander, you know, JC just didn't have that. I like, I love JC. He just did not give a flying fuck. And that is why I adore him and why he's such a, I mean, this is a very opinion based statement, but that's why he's such a quote-unquote like real musician, you know, because he does it for the total love of it. And some might say that that's amazing and just be as authentic and organic as you possibly can be and that's real art. But then other people would say, well, you know what, sometimes it really doesn't hurt to just play by the rules a little bit and get yourself marketed correctly and meet deadlines and maybe work with a few of the producers that they want you to work with, you know? It's smarter in the long run or it's smarter for your financials or whatever. But JC just he's one of those like artistic minds that he just doesn't think that way. And I admire that about him. So this song, Just Like That, that was on the original schizophrenic track listing. If it leaked, I haven't heard it. So if anybody out there, again, wants to uh, bless my Christmas stocking, ashleyandjessicast at gmail.com. Anyway, BT told MTV News that they grabbed some of their friends who were in a gospel choir and they did a, quote, hand jive sort of thing on this song. And JC said, we mic'd up our legs, our chests, anything you can to make a noise with and just had fun with it. So that sounds like a very interesting song and it sounds exactly like what the rest of schizophrenic is i mean this album has so many random sounds added to it that in some instances are genius and in other instances you're just kind of like why but <laughs> it's not surprising at all that they mic'd up their legs and their chests and anything to make a noise with i mean however since none of bt's music actually made the record i could have left this out because ultimately he's not a producer on schizophrenic but I just want to give you guys an insight onto the wide variety of different styles that JC was trying, even beyond what ended up on Schizophrenic. He was really dipping his paintbrush into every single color and then putting it on the canvas to see how it felt to him. And what a gift to get to do that. 
it's just so crazy how a lot of people consider his solo career to be a failure. And from an artistic standpoint, I just think what a triumph when I hear this album. And I would love to hear the unreleased ones. JC, if you ever want to do a from the vault tracks like Taylor, <laughs> we'll take them. We'll pay top dollar. Okay. So next we are going to talk about Rip Rock and Alex G. Alex Greggs and Brad Damon, who JC had worked with on No Strings Attached and Celebrity. So they were all very close, good friends, loved writing together, loved working together, and they just had the time of their lives working on this album, it seems. I wish that there was some documentary or studio session footage of them together because they created such an interesting album even though they're not the only producers and writers on the album but you could just take all the Rip Rock and Alex G songs on this album and put them on another album with what I'm sure would be additional tracks that they wrote but just didn't make the final cut of Schizophrenic that I would love to hear that I would love to hear because JC's work with them is so theatrical cinematic very high concept, and doesn't sound anything like other instinct songs sonically, to be honest. Like, he just goes all across the board with them. And I think it's because they are such good friends and they had known each other for a long time that JC was just able to completely play with them. And the result is just so many great songs. And even if you don't love all of them, you can't ever say that you were bored listening to a Rip Rock and Alex G song. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So here's the list of songs on this album that they are responsible for. Some Girls Dance With Women, Mercy, If You Were My Girl, All Day Long I Dream About Sex, One Night Stand, Everything You Want, and Right Here By Your Side. I mean, the variation in those tracks alone. And then when you add in the other tracks from the other producers, it creates this Picasso. I mean, it's just, they're so, it's amazing because you would think that, okay, the songs that he worked on with Rip Rock and Alex G probably all sound the same, like they're from one album. And then the other ones sound like they're from a different album. And it's just, it's not that case because JC goes all over the map with Rip Rock and Alex G. So some Girls Dance with Women, they were just going totally against type for JC with his voice. I mean, obviously he has this amazing soulful belt that he was able to use so brilliantly in InSync. And then he comes out with his first single from this album and it's him not even singing. He's basically just talking in this song, barely even singing. It's just such a laid back, casual, yet bouncy and dancey Calypso song. And that was one thing that JC would always mention in interviews. He would always talk about how he wanted to do Calypso. And that was just something that he decided to put on this album. And not only put on this album, but on the lead single. Then we have Mercy, which I feel like is JC doing his best Prince impression. And this, we really have, I mean, we have those really sexy, like almost growl vocals then the next Rip Rock and Alex G song, If You Were My Girl, that goes into rock. And to me, it's got kind of a – it's like almost like he's trying to do a Freddie Mercury, 
Adam Lambert, Steven Tyler kind of thing with his voice at certain points in that song. And then there's another rock song that they have next, All Day Long I Dream About Sex, but that one is completely different than If You Were My Girl. Like this one is just a relentless pounding drum beat that Again, JC is not showing off one of his greatest skills, his vocals. You know, basically anyone could sing this song vocally. And it's just so interesting that that's what they tried to do. I think it's because they've already done stuff with JC belting out. So they're like, let's try, he can sing anything. So let's try something else he can do with his voice. Then One Night Stand completely makes sense that he would, uh, write that with Rip Rock and Alex G, his buddies, because One Night Stand is based on that SNL sketch, The Ladies Man, that then turned into a movie with this, you know, very cheesy 1970s <laughs> kind of pervy guy uh, who's just like in love with all the gorgeous women and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's a song that JC was playing around on. I read that he didn't even really want this one on the album. Like when he says that there's some songs that he loves and some songs that he regrets, I think this is one of them. But honestly, it does have its good elements as well. And I'll get more into that when I do my song by song breakdown with Christine from Shizay Daily is going to be the guest on that one. So that's that'll be next week. Then we go to Everything You Want, which is this like reggae vibe, right? It's like so interesting. Right Here By Your Side, again, like, compare Right Here By Your Side and All Day Long I Dream About Sex. Compare Some Girls with Everything You Want. You can't, it's just so different. I mean, I just, I love the way that these men work together. So next on the producer list, we have Rodney Jerkins. Now, here is another one who did not actually make the album, which is really surprising because Rodney Jerkins is a wildly accomplished <laughs> producer. If you don't know him by the name Rodney Jerkins, you probably know Dark Child, right? He has produced for Beyonce, Justin Bieber, Gaga, Britney, The Spice Girls, TLC, Mariah, Katy Perry, Michael Jackson, Jessica. Jessica worked with him, Ashanti, Cher. I mean, everyone. He's worked with everyone would be a faster way to explain that. And I think the fact that whatever song he did with JC did not even make his album just shows, again, how genuine JC is. Like, I would, I mean, I would think the label would be like, if you worked with Dark Child, you, you need to put it on your album. But no. Again, I just wanted to paint the picture of how wide ranging his work during this time was. He talked about working with Jerkins and said, he made it more sparse than maybe I'm used to. JC said that he and Jerkins pulled each other in different directions, quote, and I did some weird melodic things with him. I started singing all this weird stuff over it, and he's like, whatever you're doing, it's weird, but it's cool. We just found our place somewhere in the middle. So again, I'm including this so you guys can see the experimental process that went down to make this record. JC spent a lot of time and energy in the studio that didn't even result in album tracks or bonus tracks or b-sides or anything like that. Whether that be because of JC himself wasn't happy with the songs or if Jive rejected them, we aren't sure, but I would absolutely love to hear whatever five or ten songs almost made the album that JC really liked, but for whatever reason, they just didn't catch on that one. 
Again, JC, if you want to drop those in my inbox, it's Ashley and Jessicast at Gmail. Because uh, <laughs> I know he listens religiously. So next is the other big producer on this album. I am obsessed with this guy. His name is Rob Bolt. And Rob, if you're out there, can you DM me? Because I want to talk to you. I am so fascinated with the work that you did with JC on this album. And I really would love to hear about what this process is like. I don't know if Rob just doesn't like the spotlight and I don't know, but he is very hard to find. Like I can't find him on social media. I can't find articles about him or interviews. So I just find this person very mysterious because he produced my three favorite songs on this record, which are Come To Me, She Got Me, and Lose Myself. So I there's something, some magic that happens when JC works with Rob Bolt. And I wonder if JC keeps in touch with him. Honestly, I wish I could ask him this. I want to go back in time to Ojai. And I mean, I want to go back in time to that anyway. But I want to ask him, where is Rob Bolt? Can you please work with him? Because... <laughs> When you do, it's amazing. So She Got Me is this song that allegedly was one of the songs that JC had worked on either with Justin or parallel to Justin because they were writing songs for Michael Jackson and Michael didn't end up recording any of them. This sounds so much like a Michael Jackson song and I think there's moments where JC even seems to be purposefully mimicking Michael or doing an homage, especially toward the end. Then we have 100 Ways. And again, I'm going to be going quickly through the track listing when I talk about these songs because we have a whole episode coming next week where Christine and I break everything down. But 100 Ways is just, I really think that it's lyrical brilliance. I mean, yeah, He's just talking about sex so people probably aren't as quick to recognize the brilliance because it's not about some deep topic. It's just about fucking all over the damn house. <laughs> Which is why I love JC. Again, reason number 100 to love this man. Oh my gosh, I didn't even – 100 ways. I didn't even mean to do that. Okay, so 100 Ways is actually one of the songs that Slant Magazine liked the most and said that – JC was just as formidable a vocalist as Justin and I thought that was interesting that they picked 100 Ways and Dear Goodbye uh, to prove that because yes Dear Goodbye definitely shows off JC's vocals but 100 Ways doesn't really except for the fact that it just shows another side of what JC can do vocally you know and another thing that's interesting in the Slant Review is it brings up how JC loses a few points and Justin gains a few because Justin's album is so cohesive and JC's isn't. But they also say that JC's willingness to take risks is, quote, admirable. So it's, I mean, I don't really like to compare JC and Justin just because it happens so much. And I know I'm being a hypocrite kind of because I've done that multiple times throughout this series. But it's just hard not to when so many other people have because I'm more coming from a place of, JC is just as great, if not greater than Justin. It's just that their strengths are different. And so I think comparing them in the first place is kind of silly. But if you're going to compare them, I love that they're going to point out JC's willing to take risks. The next Rob Bolt produced track is 
just a beautiful, amazing ballad called Build My World, which also has Tony Luca on it, one of JC's best friends from the Mickey Mouse Club, who he still seems to be very close with. I love the lifelong friendship between so many of the Mouseketeers. This song was at one point going to be a single. They were going between this and Dear Goodbye as the third single. I think that they couldn't really decide which ballad that they wanted to choose. I personally would have said forget the moth and let's do Lose Myself. That's my favorite song on this album, but hey, I wasn't in charge at Jive Records. I know that comes as a surprise that teen me wasn't in charge of Jive Records in 2004, but it, it is the case. Of this song, JC said, I'm pretty proud of it. The song is just about everybody, what they're searching for. I finally released a love song. I had fun with my party songs and everything, and now I'm releasing a love song, something a little more serious, something that people can sink their teeth into. Absolutely amazing song. Brilliant production by Rob Bolt on that one. Then we have something special, which is just this like light and airy, fun uh, live instruments, more natural song, and then Come To Me, which is arguably the best song on the album. I mean, Lose Myself is my personal favorite, but I think Come To Me is just a masterpiece. I love the samples on it. I love JC's voice. I love his boldness. I love his frankness. I mean, Rob Bolt is an absolutely genius producer, especially when it comes to JC's vocals. I think JC's vocals were in such good hands with this person and he hasn't really done a lot in the music industry since, which is why I find him so mysterious because I'm like, where are you? You did such an amazing job. You should be making some more music in my opinion. It's kind of the same way that I feel about JC. <laughs> Next we have Dear Goodbye, another stunning ballad, which again, the vocals, the vocals on this are so good. The way that they build and then come to this amazing, beautiful height. I, oh, JC is so talented. And then my favorite song on the album, Lose Myself, which on an album filled with outstanding songs, I feel that this one really leaves a beautiful impression. I kind of wish it was the last song on the album because I think it's just such an amazing way to close the record out. I wish the other songs had been bonus tracks, to be honest, but if the singles from this album had been up to me, I would have released She Got Me First right off the bat as soon as possible. So not delaying it, Jive, but as soon as possible, I would have got She Got Me out there. I would have had JC singing live and doing full choreography on every single show that you can possibly imagine. Now I know that he doesn't like to do that. He's not the type of guy who's gonna absolutely shill his album everywhere like Justin. But as I said, there is that perspective of like, well, maybe if JC had listened to the label a little bit more, it wouldn't have been the worst thing, right? Number two, I would release lose myself because I think anybody that did not love JC's new sound with She Got Me probably would be waiting for a more in sync esque type of song like Lose Yourself, meaning a ballad, because In Sync had huge ballads and JC was a very, very big part of what made them so phenomenal. So I think that with like a really good music video and JC on all the daytime talk shows singing this, just sitting on a stool or something, 
with a pianist sitting next to him, I I think would have been brilliant. And then third single is kind of a hard call for me, but I think I would want to do Mercy. And then it's hard because I think Dear Goodbye is a little bit better than Build My World. So maybe Dear Goodbye as the fourth single. And at some point, I would re-release Blowing Me Up with a new verse, like a rap verse, like they did with Girlfriend and Nelly, something like that I would have done and have those be the singles. Of course, that was not to be. Jive just kind of gave up on the album, but I wouldn't have. So JC, if you're looking for someone to work for you, I mean, look, here's all the things that you have to email me about. The songs that you did with Dallas Austin that never made the Drumline soundtrack, the uh, other songs that you did with Rip Rock and Alex G, and then if you need someone to streamline your career, help, work with you, assist you, anything, even if it's just going to grab your coffee, I'm fine. I can do it. I got you. So and the next producer that I'm going to talk about is Basement Jax. If you guys haven't noticed, JC seems to really like being in London. He always has nice things to say about his friends that live there and collaborations that he's been a part of over there. And so he said that he was in London visiting friends and he ran into Basement Jacks, who are an electronic music duo from the UK. And they ended up getting along really well. JC said, those guys are really, really cool, really creative. The stuff that they come up with is out of this world. He ended up doing a song with them for their third studio album called Plug It In. And then as a result of that, they decided to do a song for JC's album. And this is a quote that I think is very important into understanding the creation of this album and understanding JC as a songwriter. He said, collaborations aren't supposed to be contrived. You're supposed to be hanging out. That's just the way I feel about stuff. I just want things to feel good and flow. And if you're into it, you're into it. And if you're not, you're not. I don't want it to be about dollar signs. I want it to be about doing a cool song. Felix Buxton, one half of Basement Jacks, said of JC, We thought he would be just another puppet who wanted to sound cool so he could be liked by tastemakers. But he was very humble and understood the irony of taking on a song about the masquerade of celebrity because it could have been written about him and what's more, he's got a great voice. So this is JC's type of vibe, right? You just meet somebody who happens to be musical. You end up talking, knocking back a few drinks, cracking some jokes. And before you know it, you're in the studio together. And you're not trying to make the new number one hit smash song. You're just doing what you love. And if a smash song comes out of it, amazing. But if a song that is more underground and not maybe the most crowd-pleasing thing comes out of it, then that's cool too. Whatever comes out is fine. And so on one hand, I'm happy that JC did not have the label support that he deserved, which sounds crazy to say. But the reason why I'm happy about that is because I don't think we would have gotten collabs like Basement Jacks on the album, who wrote and produced one song from Schizophrenic called Shake It. That's actually the only song that JC did not have a part in writing, but was still a very tight collaboration. If Jive had done what they were supposed to do and put more money up for JC, 
and gotten him the really trendy, popular producers of the time, like Justin had. Justin had the Neptunes. He had Timbaland. And Jive somehow had all the budget in the world to pay them for as much studio time as they needed to make Justin's perfect album that he wanted to make, right? But they didn't have any money to get JC those producers. That's weird. And (laughs) it's not funny, but I need to laugh or I'll cry. You know what I mean? So if they had done that, then JC wouldn't have been able to work with people like Basement Jacks and have these really different cool tracks and experiences. And we probably wouldn't have gotten so many Rob Bolt songs because Rob Bolt was not a hotshot producer at the time at all. He was someone that JC just happened to vibe with and did a really, really, really great job writing songs with. So I love it because I love how the album came out. But at the same time, one's mind has to wander when you think, okay, what if Jive had just spent a little bit more money and gotten a few tracks on there that were produced and written by these multi-millionaire pop rock R&B, soul, because JC has such a soulful voice, producers. But they just didn't want to take the risk because they just did not have the faith in JC that they had in Justin. Justin moved so quickly. And remember, JC and the rest of NSYNC didn't know that Justin was not going to come back. So Justin is setting up this huge career for himself immediately after getting off stage at the Celebrity Tour final show. And JC's just relaxing and he's not thinking anything of it. He's grocery shopping at home. And Justin is working with some of the biggest producers in the music industry because he's doing what Jive wants. You know, he's not even taking a break. Jive is like, come on, hurry up. Let's capitalize off of this popularity that you have from NSYNC. Get right in the studio. Do this now. Finish. Let's get it out there. JC wasn't even thinking along those lines and it kind of turned Jive off that JC was so insistent on doing things his way. And as much as I am 100% all for, I think artists should do whatever they want. I want authentic music from these people. And I don't want just some pre-packaged showbiz bullshit, whatever producer is trendy, bring them in and have JC sing on the track that he doesn't even really care that much about and just release it. It'll be a smash hit and we all collect the money. I didn't want that, but I just feel like maybe they could have met in the middle. Like maybe, okay, Jive is not going to put up the exact high amount that they're putting up for Justin, but if they had just taken a little bit of a risk and said, okay, maybe JC's album is not going to do the returns that Justin gave us, but listen to this guy sing. Look at how gorgeous he is. He can move. You know what I mean? He's charming. Let's give him a little bit more of a chance. So I kind of feel both ways about it. It's like I love how original and unique and different and varied the album is, but at the same time, I wonder if JC had just been willing to play the game a little, what could have come of that and if Jive was able to put less judgment on JC for not being as willing to play the music industry game and they just put a little more faith in him and a little more money behind him what could have been but it seems like JC's happy in his life and so whatever that's I'm happy but it just seems like this solo career could have been more but again just like I I played the clip at the beginning he doesn't like being a solo artist so I think all of us fans that try to push this narrative out there like He could have been as successful, if not more than Justin. He didn't want to be. So let Justin have that. He's earned it at this point. The last producer I want to bring up is Dallas Austin, who I already talked a little bit about. 
but there are five songs that JC and Dallas wrote for Schizophrenic. Now, this is in addition to the other three that they wrote for the Drumline soundtrack that didn't get picked. So there's eight songs floating around there somewhere out in the ether. Ashley and Jessicast at gmail.com. Anyway, so... <laughs> JC said, the songs are waiting to be finished. The problem is my timetable caught up to me. The thing is, we can always finish those up and put them out later. So not only was Jive kind of rushing JC to get more tracks to them, but Dallas only had a limited amount of time because he was working on the Orlando Jones show. So he had to kind of leave in the middle of them working on these tracks and... I don't know if they ever got finished. JC, if you're listening, can you let me know? I would love to love to discuss those with you, babe. Now, I've heard through the grapevine that there were actually even more producers and more writers that JC was working with during this time. But as I said again, it was all organic collabs. It was not Jive putting up the money and bringing producers in. It's kind of similar to what happened with autobiography with Ashley Simpson except her label did have the faith in her and did bring in the big producers so bringing in somebody older more experienced more talented to gel with JC's talent not take the whole album over but just have a collaboration would have been great like they did with Ashley but instead of what they did on autobiography they said Uh, these songs aren't that great, but whatever. We're not going to make as much money with JC as we have with Justin anyway. So like, who cares? Just let JC do whatever he wants. We're not going to invest any more money into it. We don't really care about this album. We're getting so many returns from Justin as it is. And like between the two of them, we're team Justin. So, you know, let JC does whatever he wants. And if it's successful, then great. We make all the money. And if it's not successful, well, then we can just blame him. That's... One of the reasons that this album did not do the sales that we wish it could have done. So a big part of the conversation around this album was the media and fans speculating how similar JC's music would be to Justin's and also how similar it would be to NSYNC's. This put JC in kind of an awkward position because he couldn't sound like NSYNC. But he also couldn't sound like Justin, and those were two different sounds. So he already had dance pop that was kind of off limits because they didn't want him to be too much like in sync. But then he had this other hugely popular genre at the time that was off limits, which is the R&B, more urban sound that Justin was going for. So of all the varied sounds on Schizophrenic, we don't really get R&B. We don't have a lot of hip-hop collabs or anything like that because they wanted to differentiate from Justin. R&B was just completely off limits. They were like, no, 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 it cannot sound like Justified. So I think JC was also kind of pissed off because he was like, it's not that I want to make Justin's album. I don't want to copy Justin, but if I happen to be in the studio and I create something that maybe sounds a little bit like one of his songs, can we not just throw it away? And Jive was like, no. Jive was like, you cannot make anything that sounds like Justin and also try to stay away from instinct sounds, but if you have a few songs on there, that's fine. JC just wanted less of a structure. He wanted to be limitless and the label and the media really was putting pressure on him to not be like things he had done in the past. 
Now, it wasn't that big of a deal that they didn't want it to be a lot like NSYNC because the NSYNC sound was already fading out. The music industry was changing. Bubblegum pop was no longer the thing. All of the pop artists were getting more urban, were integrating R&B into their sounds, were adding more hip-hop collabs and things like that. But JC was not allowed to do that. And that was a huge problem because that was where the industry was. I mean, everybody was going for that sound. It's not like it would have been Justin's unique idea and he was the only person that did that. So JC was kind of banned from doing this hugely popular (laughs) type of music. So I think that also kind of put a wrench in this album because he was limited in some way. It doesn't sound like if you listen to this album, you wouldn't think he was limited, but he was from the most popular sound of that era. So Rolling Stone did an article about JC leading up to the release of this album, and they wrote, JC Chazay took an active role in arranging and creating a diverse musical palette for his upcoming album. I took more of an artistic approach, he said. I'm not sure about typical NSYNC fans. I hope to take younger fans who grew up with us and give them more to think about. I'm trying to respect their intelligence. I love that. I love that. For the first single, Some Girls Dance With Women, JC enlisted director Martin Weiss to shoot the video, which should go into rotation early next month. Musicians will respect it a lot more than anything I've done before, he said. This album is not about what's going to sell. He just kept reiterating that, and that pisses Jive off. These executives want to make money. It's plain and simple. I think the most powerful people in the music industry are not the most talented. I think that they're the people that are savvy enough to get some things for themselves and keep their artistic integrity, but they also know that they have to give away a little of what they want and they have to follow the rules and they have to play the game. Not 100%, but a little bit. They know how to meet somebody like Jive Records halfway. And JC was just not willing to do that. Like he was just totally rebellious against it all. And that's my attitude too, so I can't criticize him. But He just would literally say in every interview how much he did not want to make money and he did not care and he doesn't care about the sales. And Jive is over here like, all right, cool. (laughs) Thanks. So JC did an interview with Pop Girls and they asked, what is it going to take to convince critics that your audience is no longer strictly teenage girls? Do you think they would believe that it never was? And he said, First of all, I'm glad there are teenage girls in the audience and women of all ages for that matter. All of us have been teenagers. We all grow and change and dream. The fact of the matter is that I'm happy just having an audience, period, that loves my music. I'm appreciative of everybody that buys a record. It doesn't matter if they're short, fat, skinny, brown, black, purple, whatever it is. And if a grandma likes my track all day I dream about sex, then more power to her. (laughs) Me as an old lady. Uh, (laughs) my music is all about good times and having fun, and I'm thankful for everybody that enjoys listening to the record. I get a kick out of connecting with people's dreams and hopes. As far as convincing critics, everyone is entitled to his or her opinion. My opinions about some things don't always coincide with everybody else's opinions. That's just part of being a critic. Sometimes I agree with them, and sometimes I don't. I'm just glad they are writing about my music. 
that's 100% the right idea with anything. Anytime you're putting anything out there. I even feel that way about my podcast. Of course, I love all the positive attention, but anytime I get negative attention, I'm like, you know what? I don't want to have this, but at the same time, the most successful people that I have ever admired in my life have tons of haters. So it's kind of only a sign that you're doing something right. They also asked, you mentioned recently that while working on this album, you tried not to listen to other music because you wanted to avoid being influenced. Is that how you normally approach the songwriting and recording process or was it different this time? JC said, basically, when I went to make Schizophrenic, I wanted it to be a JC record. I didn't go around looking for suggestions and phone calls. Of course, I'll listen to anything at any given time, but when I'm writing my record, it's not like I sit there with another record playing while I'm trying to write my own song. That's ridiculous. Basically, I held all my calls and didn't take other opinions into account. So, again, I understand how JC is and how his personality works or at least what he's put out into the world like after being a fan for so long and all this research I do think I know more about him than your average person I'm not saying I know him but as far as whatever he's put out into the world I feel like I have a good understanding of that person and I know that he isn't making an an arrogant statement or trying to but basically saying I held all my calls and didn't take other opinions into account That's not the kind of statement that is conducive to having a great working relationship with other people in any industry, but especially in an industry as collaborative as the music industry. I mean, yeah, you can strum a guitar by yourself and record at home on GarageBand like I'm doing now and put out an album with absolutely no other people helping you, but that album is probably not going to be a hit record, right? You have to have collaboration and... JC was just like, this is my way or the highway. And that would work better today, which is why I kind of wish he would just self-produce his own album and do the same thing he did here and just work with his friends, whoever he felt comfortable with, not stick to one genre, not stick to anybody's rules and just do his own thing. It would have worked a lot better for today's world. But back then, it's like Jive Records signed him off of NSYNC and was kind of like, hey, it's a big deal that we signed you. We don't sign just anybody. So can you listen to us a little bit? We have some ideas. No. And that was JC's whole attitude. I mean, here he is talking similarly on TRL. The story is that recording it, and you kind of like pulled yourself up in the studio. You kind of went hermit on us. Yeah. I mean, what, phone call. But the thing was, is I wanted it to be my record and everybody's got an opinion. You yeah. know what I mean? And everybody's like, you know what you should be doing, man? You should be doing this and it'd be great. You sell trillions of records and da 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 da. And I was like, your friend that works in the Are you ready? Calm down. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I wanted, basically what happened is when I said, when I called my record, I was like, and they were really cool about it. I called Jab up and I was like, you guys, I want to I do my own record. They were like, great. They're like, we can set you up with this person and this person. I said, do me a favor, man. Don't call me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll call you. And they were like, you know what? Okay. Oh. You know, they trusted me. They, they let me do my own thing. And I couldn't be more thankful for that because I got to do my own weapon. Freedom is a beautiful thing. That's true. So I don't know if JC in that clip describing Jive as being really cool with it. I don't know if he's lying to do what everyone in showbiz does which says nice things about the figureheads and the (laughs) ceos on tv or if they really did act like they were cool with it or maybe they were cool with it at the beginning but then jc was taking so much time and taking so many liberties and like could you said hibernating and just not wanting any opinions and i don't know it's just 
it's not really a good idea to say to your label, please just leave me alone. <laughs> I mean, it's what every musician wants. And actually, in a way, I think we should thank Jive for being so focused on Justin that they just kind of left JC to do whatever he wanted. Because maybe if they had forced these producers and stuff on him, what we would have gotten wouldn't have been as authentic and wouldn't have been as memorable. Maybe it would have been a hit in the moment, but not an album that he would still stand by. JC said that one of the things that he learned from working on this album was to, quote, not stifle too much of the creativity in the early stages. So instead of shooting ideas down early, I try to expand on those ideas to the fullest, waiting to critique it until I've taken it as far as I can possibly go. So I wonder whose ideas he's talking about. He's just talking about his own ideas, right? His own ideas and his approved collaborators of his choice. Because it seems like anyone else's ideas were not welcome in the studio. And again, I love that. I love his authenticity and his devotion to keeping it real. But I can completely see how some people at Jive were like, screw this guy. He won't listen to us. And this other guy will listen to us. So you know what? We're going to go with him. I'm not saying I agree with that. If I ran the label, I would have put everything in the world behind JC. I would have believed in him a million trillion percent. But like I said, unfortunately, I wasn't there. Also, Jive was going through a lot of big changes when it came to their staff. So Clive Calder, who I believe is a South African billionaire, he was the co-founder and owner of Jive, and he was incredibly supportive toward people like the Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, Britney, etc. And he was the perfect person to run a record label because he understood the meeting halfway that works best when you're dealing with artists, which is like, I'm not going to let you have 100% control, but I'm also not going to have 100% control. We're going to do this 50-50. And if you have a problem with anything that I'm doing, we can sit down and we can discuss it and I'll hear you out. I'm not saying I'm always going to go with your way, but I will hear you out. Multiple people have attested to this, but unfortunately, he decided to leave the music industry in 2003, which left Barry Weiss in charge. And I'm not going to say anything negative about Barry Weiss. I don't have anything negative to say about him, except that I've heard that he is more allegedly, he is more a business guy. He's not going to sit and hear out somebody like JC when he already thinks that he's not going to make any money on this deal anyway. So I think a big part of what made this whole situation so much more difficult was Clive Calder leaving in 2003. I think that if he had stayed just a little bit longer, Jonas Brothers, sorry, I'm seeing them so soon, I'm so excited, then <laughs> JC probably would have gotten a little bit more of a fair shake. Sorry to interrupt everybody. But if you're loving what you hear in this episode, you might want to subscribe to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash Ashley and Jessicast. There you will find all my bonus content. So you will have access to 55 plus bonus episodes, video episodes, and you get all my public episodes a week early ad free and you get them in an extended cut kind of like the director's cut of a movie so if you want some extra content from the ashley and jessicast please go to patreon.com slash ashley and jessicast where you can subscribe at the five dollar or the ten dollar tier you're charged once per month and you can cancel online anytime 
back to the episode. So let's get a little more into the singles that were chosen for this album, which this is such a mess. I'm so disappointed that this is what happened with the singles. So Some Girls Dance With Women is a horrible title. (laughs) It's a horrible title, just like Schizophrenic is a horrible title. I wish that this song had just not had that line in it. Some Girls Dance With Women, knowing that it gets them attention. I just wish that that wasn't in there. If it had been anything else and then all the rest of the song was the same, it would have been fine. Because if you look at the rest of the lyrics, they don't even have anything to do with what he's talking about. I mean, maybe a little bit, but I mean, listen to the second verse. Might have to peel me off the ceiling. I'm like a soda that's been shaken up. Boom. I find the playfulness appealing. That cat and mouse chase on your market ready go. Send you a drink. See what the deal is. Held up your glass and blew a kiss and took a sip. When you were finished, back to business. You and your girlfriends group up. This is how you draw them in. So yeah, like he talks about it a little bit, but I feel like he didn't have to literally say some girls dance with women knowing that it gets them attention. I think those little lines are enough to suggest that yeah, girls do sometimes dance up on each other in the club and like rub up on each other and are more touchy-feely and sexual than they would be with each other if no one was watching just because it does attract attention. And that's not the worst thing. I mean, I think people acted like he was trying to shame women doing this, but he wasn't. I mean, just like any other red-blooded American dude, he likes the sight of that. So I, I just don't understand why the whole song had to be called that and some people said that he was trying to say that lesbians aren't not that they're not real but like that some girls that claim that they like other girls don't really they're just doing it because they want to get men's attention like oh yeah a girl is only gonna hook up with another girl in public for a man not for her own pleasure right that's kind of the tone that the chatter around this song had and that sucks because that's totally not what Jay-Z was going for so here's him explaining on the best damn sports show to Tom Arnold of all people what this song is about what is that about or should I let my no, mind it's you know it's, it's a simple song it's just a flirt man I, it was my it was my take on what it's like to do a lap in a club you know everybody's got there's a million club songs out there whether they're popping bottles or whether they're you know getting low or wait, getting wait, on the dance floor or whatever. Bro, we, we, white folks watch the show <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you Chris yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, what it means is you. you know, lo- look at me. You know how they get a drink or whatever, how they hit the dance floor and dance and everything like that. And I found, and what I did is, I, I took another perspective on it. I said I just, t- in my mind, did a lap in a club and pointed out something that everybody sees and everybody talks about it. And to my amazement, nobody had actually written a song about it. So I did it. Well, thank God you did. Thank you. Right. <laughs> he told MTV News, "There's three reasons why a girl would dance on another girl." One, she's attracted to a guy, so she decides to tease him a little bit. Two, she's avoiding a guy. And three, she's a lesbian. I decided to take an optimistic approach. She's doing it for me. Everybody knows they're not lesbians. They're teasing the world. Girls are willing to do strange things to get our attention. I kind of wanted Some Girls as the first single because even though the title's kind of obvious, it's a very thoughtful track. It's something we all talk about. It's like nobody ever really isolated it and pointed a finger at it. So again, did he say some problematic things here? Yes, but let's keep in mind that this is 2003. And like I said, this does happen. Like, 
Are there some women rubbing up on other women in a club because they are interested in women, whether they're full on lesbian or, or not? You know, it's like, who cares? If you're attracted to a woman, you're attracted to a woman and you want to touch them and it's consensual, then play ball, go to town, let's do it. So for a man to assume that that's just for him is problematic. But he is acknowledging that like, there might be other reasons too. Like, yeah, they might just be a lesbian or they might be avoiding a guy. So they want to seem like they're already coupled up with this girl so that a guy doesn't hit on them. I've also done that. I mean, geez, the things I've done to avoid the male gaze, actually, I've done so many more things to avoid the male gaze than to get it on me. I think that's why this is insulting to some women because it's like, we don't even need to do these things to get your attention. Your attention is already on us, dude. So I get it. I I just wish that because I think this song is so cool. I love this song. I And when I say I love this song, I love a lot of the lyrics that are not about girls dancing up on each other and are just about having fun in the club. Like, this is a club jam that is actually just a little bit more interesting. I'm not going to say that I agree with him saying it's a, quote, very thoughtful track. I don't think it's super thoughtful, but I do think a lot of thought went into it. I do think the lyrics are more well-crafted and better than a lot of songs that are just about being in the club. I mean, that is kind of like a no-brainer to me. There is another version of this song on the album featuring Dirt McGirt, who was Old Dirty Bastard, but he changed his name, and I think a lot of people didn't realize that it was Old Dirty Bastard, and some people were like, who's Dirt McGirt? (laughs) And it's like, as crazy of a name as Old Dirty Bastard is, it was iconic, whereas Dirt McGirt wasn't so I don't know I feel like that wasn't the best thing but of the collab JC said the record company told me this is an event you have to do something I was like I don't know I kind of like the song the way it is they were like just name somebody you think would rip this I tried to think of somebody unique Busta Rhymes and Missy Elliott are amazing rappers but they've done a million collabs so in my mind Dirty is fresh fresh out of jail yes Nevertheless, no one's heard from him in a while and he's due to make some noise and the verse he did is really cool. I agree. I love his version of it, but I do prefer JC by himself just because I love JC and I don't think the verse is so good that it was necessary, but I like that there's two versions of the song because I enjoy the song. So the more versions, the better. Unfortunately, the collab did not really help the song go up the charts. So unfortunately, the song peaked at just number 88 on the Billboard Hot 100. It reached number 30 on the U.S. Top 40 mainstream chart. And its highest charting position was in the U.K. where it peaked at number 13. So that was not too shabby. Unfortunately, it wasn't able to match that success anywhere else in the world. So of the music video, which debuted on TRL in December 2003, and unfortunately was only on the countdown for 12 days before falling off and never getting back on, it peaked at number six. And I just really wish that once it got to number six, and then it started falling, I wish that Jive had just pushed the song a little harder and put that money up and put JC on more shows and sent him to more promotional appearances. They just kind of gave up on it. And so it's like, what do you expect when you're giving up on your artist? 
before it's even over. Like you still have a chance. It's still it's still doing okay. You could have pushed it a little harder. For the video, like I said, it was directed by Martin Weiss, who's worked with Corn, Brandy, Mel B, Crazy Town, Fuel. I mean, he is an extremely prolific German filmmaker who has apparently directed around 350 music videos. So that's amazing. I like the video. It's fine. Like I don't love it. I don't hate it. It just kind of I mean, JC looks great, but I, do I think it's anything super special? No. I think this song could have done better with a better video. And of the video, JC said, Everything was done in good taste. A lot of cats were worried it would be really strong, but it's just enough to put a smile on your face. I shot it with a very European feel. I didn't want it to be overly flashy and look like every other video. MTV News reported the video is set in the streets of Prague, although it was actually filmed mostly in LA with Dirt McGirt's cameo shot a few days ago in New York. It's a narrative in that I'm the voyeur watching the action, Shazay added with a laugh. It moves from the street into a ballroom, but it's not a club scene. It's like a costume party, a Baroque period kind of feel with white wigs and white makeup. Shazay co-produced some girls with his friends Rip Rock and Alex G, who also worked on Instinct's No Strings Attached. It starts off really bouncy, light, almost calypso feeling, JC said, and then I added these little flute lines in the B-verse that kind of made it really smooth and sexy. See, other artists just weren't talking like that. They weren't talking about little flute lines, you know? Like, he really is a uniquely brilliant person. Mainstream radio was just not really picking up this song the way that Jive and JC would have wanted. So in that Pop Girls interview I had quoted before, they had mentioned that critics were already saying nice things about the album, but since mainstream radio wasn't really supporting him, they asked, what do you think is a bigger measure of your success? I'm sure you can guess JC's answer, but I'm going to read it anyway. <laughs> he said, I'm delighted that music critics like it, and I get a kick out of seeing how fans at the shows really get into the different tracks on the album, but at the end of the day, I'm very satisfied with the material that I put out there. Sure, I hope for commercial success, but at this point, I made this record in a way where I just wanted to do it myself, my way, so I can grow as an individual and musician. So I think I've already been successful as far as my personal goals. Now, commercially, of course, it would be nice to have a few records sold, no doubt about that. So the second single was All Day I Dream About Sex, and JC premiered this on the Wade Robson project. Now, Wade, of course, was a very close collaborator with NSYNC. He was their choreographer. Most famously, he choreographed pop and appeared as Joey in the video when Joey hurt himself and couldn't dance. He also worked on some of the songs on that album. JC said, All Day I Dream About Sex is surprising a lot of people. It's just right in your face, which will be fun, but I want people to know I did spend time thinking about some of these songs. Kind of an interesting thing to say, right? He's, he's trying to point out, yes, my songs are sexual, but they're not mindlessly sexual. There was a lot of work that went into all of them. So... Here is Alex Greggs, the producer of both Some Girls and All Day I Dream About Sex, talking about how they were just having fun and they did not think that either of these songs would even make the record, never mind be singles. This is from a 2019 episode of the InSync podcast called The Digital Get Down. You know, then we did uh, All Day Long I Dream About Sex. That was started off, I think, J.C played the riff on the guitar and then we, we were like fuck it let's do a duran duran type 
Killers meets Duran Duran type song. Once again, thinking label's <laughs> not going to like it. We loved it. It was good fun. But like you said in your podcast, it didn't really show off his vocal ability. And it really wasn't a melodic song. It was more of a party jam, which we right, were cool right. with. And I think that because was... we knew we had other songs yeah. on the record that would show his vocal ability. And people knew that he could sing from previous songs. So we thought, yeah, cool. Go on the record. And we thought, you know, this might be a cool single because The Killers was just starting to come out. So we thought maybe we can separate JC and Justin by having JC kind of be more attached to the pre-hipster movement. That was our thing. Yeah, and I mentioned that that like that pop, there was even a, you know, a segment of pop that was going in that direction too, where it was more, there were more guitars and things like that in there. And that was even the... A lot of those things were kind of seeping in there, but that was the thing. Like you said, we we talked about you know the different, um, you know how his voice was maybe utilized and that kind of thing. It's like and it's easy for us to play, um, you know, look at this back in retrospect and say, oh, it should have been this way or whatever. But I guess that that really makes a lot of sense that it being like you're trying to differentiate it from Justin's record and then the directive that you're getting down from the label now and saying that you want to, they want to go in this direction, even it's something that you're like, eh, we're not sure about this. So that really right. paints a, a better picture for us, like to, to really, you know, find out more behind the scenes of what was going on. Yeah, we were getting conflicting direction from from the label, you know, don't do urban but we like this urban type song you guys did. Uh, so it, it, we were getting kind of two things going at the same time and we 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 couldn't really please anybody. It was either too po- it was either too different or it was too urban and and sounded close to what Justin something Justin might have done. Now, this song is really in my lower half of the album if I were to do a ranking. This particular blend of electronica and rock and roll just doesn't quite appeal to me there's so much going on in this song yet it feels like there's something missing and i think as a single choice it's pretty baffling considering what happened at the super bowl now before i get into that just to let you guys know how this song did commercially it did not chart in the united states So it was not on the Billboard Hot 100 at all. It charted at number three on the Australian dance charts. So hell yeah, Australia, you have some taste. Even though I don't love this song, I still wanted it to do well, obviously, for JC. On the Aria singles chart in Australia, it got up to number 25. On the Belgian singles chart, it was number 44. And in New Zealand, it was number 32. So It's painful. I mean, it just sucks. There was a promotional vinyl released in the United States, which I know very few JC fans have. It's kind of a coveted item. And that had the full version on it, which is six minutes long. Then it had the radio edit, which was 328. It had the instrumental. And then it had three versions of Come To Me. It had the album version the single version and then the instrumental of that as well i have to say that i kind of want that vinyl just to have come to me on vinyl because schizophrenic the full album hasn't been released but that's another thing (laughs) that i would like for christmas jc if you're listening and you're keeping a list schizophrenic on vinyl baby that's what i want mtv would not even air this music video 
okay? Which is insane because it was not a sexual video. I mean, the song is called All Day I Dream About Sex, but if you've seen the video, you know what I mean. You can go watch it on YouTube. It's not a sexual video at all. But MTV refused to show it because of the Super Bowl controversy. And that's why I I just have to say, like, I love JC's rebellious attitude, but the fact that they released this song after the Super Bowl stuff is absolutely bewildering okay they should have gone the complete opposite direction they they should have released lose myself dear goodbye or build my world and did the i'm the great soulful singer from nsync okay instead of i'm this super sexual guy who has to release overtly sexual music that is very different from what's charting they said that they were going in a killers type of direction with this song which I totally get because the killers were huge in 2004 I mean I was obsessed with them but to me it, it it falls so short of what the killers did on hot fuss like I'm sorry I love JC but I don't think this song is anywhere near as good as like the worst song on hot fuss like they just didn't really hit the mark for me of this JC said MTV doesn't want to put it in rotation unless it has radio spins and radio stations aren't going to push a song as hard unless you have MTV playing the video we all know how that works so it's this double-edged sword it's like everybody in the music industry kind of kisses each other's asses to make it all work and if one side isn't doing it then the other side isn't going to do it either and then your song just fizzles out and I think the reason it did so well in Australia and was also well received in the UK and, and certain other parts of Europe is just because they didn't give a shit about the Super Bowl controversy. They're not American and they are more loose with sexuality. They're not so uptight, you know? I mean, that's the way that I think. I've always said I don't understand why this thing that we all do is considered to be so scandalous if we talk about it. It's very weird, America's obsession and fear of sexuality. So on that note, we have to talk about this Super Bowl incident, which is just, uh, I hate talking about it. People ask me about this all the time. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, buckle up. <laughs> okay. So in 2004, JC was scheduled to perform at the halftime show of the Pro Bowl. Now the Pro Bowl is like the NBA All-Star game. So it's not as big as the Super Bowl, but it's still a huge deal and it is a massive compliment that JC was asked to perform at the Pro Bowl. This never happened, and that is because of what happened at the Super Bowl with Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson. For those who may have been in a coma the past 20 years and have just awoken, hi. <laughs> Boy, do we have some things to catch you up on. Guess what happened at the 2004 Super Bowl? You're not going to believe it. Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson are doing an amazing performance together. I mean, Janet was slaying. She was killing it. And that's what bothers me so much about this whole situation the most is that no one remembers the rest of her performance, which was actually so great. Janet was wearing this red top with a leather bodice I guess you could call it over it and the lyric that Justin was singing from his song rock your body is gonna have you naked by the end of this song and what he was gonna do is rip off the leather panel but she still would have the red top underneath it would be a little bit more revealing but 
performers rip off costume pieces all the time. That's a huge part of especially this era. People were always ripping stuff off to reveal something underneath, right? So that was the plan. She was not supposed to expose her breast. He was not supposed to expose her breast. He did not do it on purpose. She did not do it on purpose. I mean, he did purposefully pull off the leather part. Unfortunately, the other part came with it. And I know people have different opinions and theories about what happened. That's my opinion on what happened. If you disagree, that's fine. That's not what this is about. How did this affect JC? Why would this affect JC? He had nothing to do with it. He wasn't there. Well... This was a bigger deal than you could possibly imagine, person in a coma. This was, <laughs> or person who just came out of a coma. This was, I mean, you would think that Justin murdered her on that stage. Or rather, you would think she murdered him because, of course, she is the one that got all the blame, even though he was the one who did the ripping. I don't really blame him. I don't think that it was his fault. It was just an accident. And so it was dubbed a wardrobe malfunction. Janet's career was destroyed at the time. She's had to work so hard to gain back any of the respect that she had had before then, which was massive respect because she had already had a 20-year career by then. And so all the networks, the FCC, even radio were really cracking down on anything remotely sexual. Now, I mean even remotely sexual. Like everything had to be turned into Barney the Dinosaur levels of rated G to be able to be put on television. I mean, you would have thought that Justin and Janet literally started having sex on that stage or something. I mean, it's insane the reaction to this, but that's what happened. So JC is scheduled to perform at the Pro Bowl and they call him and they say, look, we really don't like the concept of some girls dance with women. It's just too sexy. Can you do your other song, Blowing Me Up? Now, that song was on Schizophrenic, but it had already been released and had its run. So the label and JC were really wanting to promote his new songs. However, because of the situation that had just happened, they of course said yes. They wanted to keep JC's booking, this huge booking on the Pro Bowl that's going to be seen by so many millions upon millions upon millions of people. So they agreed to it and it was settled. But then they kept calling back with issues. So they told JC that they were worried about the costuming of his dancers. They said absolutely nothing sexy. I'm guessing they also caught wind of the fact that JC's promo tour that he had done to promote the album in December of 2003, that was very sexual. So he was singing the songs from Schizophrenic and he had very scantily clad women dancing around him. And so this could have been what he chose to do on the Pro Bowl. I'm sure that he was going to tone it down a little even before the Janet thing, but they were very nervous. So his TV performances were a little more tame, but still the buzz was this is a very sexual album. So JC said, you know what? That is absolutely no problem. We will all dress football themed so the girls will be in football jerseys. Won't be sexy at all. So they said, fine. They agreed on it. Then they call JC back again. And they say, you know what? It's not even the outfits that are the problem, but we've listened to your song and there are some very sexual lyrics in Blowing Me Up. Can you change them? 
And so artists hate having to change their lyrics for things like this. And so JC didn't want to do it, but he said, you know what? We're all in a tough situation here with what just happened. And I will change the lyrics, not a problem. So they wanted them to take out the part of Blow Me Up where he says, uh, feeling horny, maybe we'll get naughty. And so he did, because it's just two little words. He agreed to replace them with some G-rated stuff, and then they considered the situation settled. So unfortunately, the next morning, JC was notified by his management that he was completely pulled from the Pro Bowl. JC said that he felt that they were even questioning his character, like he's worked with Justin, and Justin did this very sexual thing on the Super Bowl, so we just cannot take the risk because not only is he associated with Justin, but he has this very sexual album, and so these guys are just these sexual deviants that we cannot have on television. But of course, again, Justin Timberlake didn't really get in trouble because guess what event was coming up just the very next week? The Grammys. And Justin not only performed at the Grammys and his performance was not pulled, but he won a Grammy. He's up there accepting a Grammy. The Grammys uninvited Janet. She wasn't even allowed to go to the Grammys. JC was not allowed to perform at the Pro Bowl halftime show because of their association with Justin and this event. Yet Justin won an award and performed. I'm not even going to get into this because this is not a Justin series, but come on. I mean, it's ridiculous. So MTV News reported that though Justin Timberlake was still scheduled to perform at Sunday's Grammys, which is being broadcast on CBS, same network that shows the Super Bowl, the halftime show where Janet Jackson's breast was exposed has had consequences for NSYNC singer J.C. Shazay who was scheduled to perform at Sunday's NFL Pro Bowl, he has been axed from the halftime festivities. In light of what happened Sunday, we took a hard look at what he was going to perform and decided to move in another direction, league spokesperson Brian McCarthy said Wednesday. This is a reflection of what was communicated by the league on Monday. We said we are making changes and this is the first one. Shazay said in a statement, No one could be more disappointed than I that the NFL has canceled my halftime performance at the Pro Bowl. I've told the NFL I understand the pressure that they are under since the Super Bowl. JC was also scheduled to sing the national anthem at the game and is still talking with the NFL about doing so. He didn't end up doing that either. Now, JC was very vocal about the fact that he thought this was very wrong. And I'm proud of him because I think a lot of people were probably advising him to just sit down and shut up and just accept this. And he didn't. And I don't blame him because it was extremely wrong. It was extremely wrong. It would be one thing if JC had been a part of the Janet performance or something like that. But literally, he was not (laughs) at all. I mean, it's insane that just because of his association with Justin that this would happen. So the Associated Press reported that J.C. Shazay had unleashed a scathing attack on the NFL for asking him to sing the national anthem after yanking him from the halftime show at the Pro Bowl due to the Janet Jackson fallout. Why was it even called the Janet Jackson fallout? Why wasn't it called the Janet and Justin fallout or the Justin fallout? Like, I'm not saying that Justin should have solely been blamed, but like, If you're going to blame them, it was the two of them. And what about the people who produced the performance? What about the choreography? What about the wardrobe people? Like, they were responsible for this. I'm so pissed. Like, I'm still pissed about this. I love Janet. Anyway. And of course, I love JC even more. Like, it's just, ugh. 
JC said in a statement, I have had a great relationship with the NFL in the past and feel that I have been mistreated. While I agree the mishap at the Super Bowl was a huge mistake, the NFL's shallow effort to portray my music as sexually indecent brings to mind another era when innocent artists were smeared with a broad brush by insecure but powerful people. That's not the America I love, nor is this the NFL I love. I'll sing the national anthem anytime, anywhere, but not for this NFL. Brian McCarthy, a spokesman for the Pro Bowl, responded, We're not going to debate him. We made our decision and we're going to move on. So it was just so completely unfair. I mean, I can't stress enough. I don't think I have to explain. I mean, you understand. It just does not make sense. It's so wrong. And I love JC for saying, fuck you. Like the better career move would have been to just swallow it and perform the national anthem and get that exposure. But it was kind of like in a relationship when somebody like dumps you and then they call you the next week and they're like, well, can you come over? And you probably still want to come over because you didn't want to get dumped and you still love them and you've been waiting for that call. But you're like, no, you didn't want me before. So fuck you. And that's the mood that JC was in and I don't blame him you know he chose his integrity over an appearance on television and you know what honestly they had been such assholes anyway maybe they would have removed him from doing the national anthem as well just because god forbid he was in a group with Justin Timberlake at one point so JC was on a bunch of television shows talking about this incident here he is talking about it on Access Hollywood if you could say one thing to the NFL, what would you say? Be fair. You know, just because, you know, I'm a member of NSYNC and Justin was up there, don't punish me because I wasn't there. Let me, let me read to you what NFL spokesman Brian McCarthy said. Uh, we thought it was over the top. It was because of the song and how we believed it was going to be choreographed. We wanted to go in a different direction. Your response to that? Well, again, he's referring to the choreography that he refused to look at. We offered to send him a tape. He said, don't even bother. On a personal level, how much does this hurt you? They're smearing my name, and I don't appreciate it. This NFL spokesman, Brian McCarthy, also said that you still may do the national anthem. Any chance of that? I'm not good enough to perform at your halftime show and represent myself and, and, take, and take, you know, take on the consequences of my own actions, but you'll have me represent my entire country in front of the entire world. Here is what JC had to say about the incident on CNN. They basically uh, got really wound up about the Super Bowl situation, and I just think that they got a little overly excited, and they, they're just really fearful of, of what could happen, and I think you can't live your whole life in fear. I think one bad incident shouldn't reflect on the rest of the, the entertainment world. So. Well, JC, uh, what do you think? Are we on the wrong track? Should singers like you, who obviously a lot of uh, young women, young men look up to, everyone thinks you're cool, should we leave out the words horny and hunk and talking no, about sex? Yeah, well, here's the deal. You know, they're running advertisements between, you know, all the, in the whole game, and they're, and they're, they're uh, running ads for male performance enhancements. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know what to say, man. I, you know, and it's... It's just a part of life. I mean, people, you know, music is an aphrodisiac to a certain extent. Yeah, sometimes things go too far, but I think that we're in a, you know, a whole other era. We're in, a, we're in the communication age. We're not, you know, we're not in the dark ages. And, the, 
And uh, I think that, you know, you have to respect people's intelligence and things like that. And uh, the only thing that's, that's really getting tough now is, you know, with this whole uh, shakedown, it's like, you know, I think they're just going way overboard. And, you know, artists themselves are nervous about what they're going to say, and it's really inhibiting creativity, so. Like I said, this whole situation was so unfair, and it just does not make sense at all that Jive and JC chose to double down on the sexuality and release All Day I Dream About Sex. I mean, those three fantastic ballads were right there. She Got Me, which was an incredibly viable radio hit, was right there. I mean, it just drives me a little insane every time I think about it. So as far as the sexuality on this album, hiponline.com said, (laughs) I love the way that they worded this. They were just very direct. They said, this is a really horny album. There was a lot of sex in there. I wanted you to talk about that, the place that you were coming from in doing these songs and also in the kind of landscape that's changed since the Super Bowl. Do you anticipate any problems in that area? JC replies, I don't know. I don't see it that way. I mean, there are a million records that have a million songs about sex on them and everything like that. And not every song on the record is about sex. Yeah, there are a few. (laughs) It's a little more than a few. But JC said, the funny part is that's just what people gravitated to. When I finished, I had a lot more songs than what you hear on the record, obviously. But for some reason, when everybody would be listening to these songs, these are the songs that people gravitated to. Some of the greatest songs of all time have sexual innuendos as them as far back as Led Zeppelin going, I got a whole lot of love. I'm going to give you every inch of my love. When it comes to the commercial success of Schizophrenic, it just had so much working against it. It had the disputes between JC and the label. It had the comparisons to Justin, the comparisons to Sync, the changing infrastructure in Jive Records, the Super Bowl incident, which nobody saw coming, the differences that JC had with the label and their lack of support just led to this mess. It was this heap of uh, mess that just kept multiplying on itself. And it was so unfair to JC But that's just how the whole thing shook out. And Lance actually asked JC about this on both of the podcast episodes they did together. So so here are some of JC's comments looking back on Schizophrenic. To be honest with you, that that record um, is bittersweet for me. Yeah. Um, I, I never saw myself as a solo artist, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, I've noticed that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And, and the creative process, um, when I was making that record, I didn't always feel supported when I was making that record. Yeah. Um, as well as, you know, some of the songs, you know, I would I was making some of the songs you know I would just make to get out of my system and I never thought that you know they were going to be you know considered I was just like oh this is just to get out of my system it's an idea I need to do it and move on and but and then get to the stuff that I want you know to really do and um so it's just funny how different people attach themselves to different things about it, you know, cause music is a personal thing and, and people gravitated to different things and, mm-hmm. and, and every artist has different feelings about different songs. And I have 
different feelings about songs on that record, songs that I really liked and some songs I would love to forget. Yeah. <laughs> Name one that you'd be like, eh, no, 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 we'll put that on another album. Uh, uh, no, if I don't want to put it on that record, <laughs> I don't want to put it on any records. <laughs> nice. Burn it! Yeah. Well, as an outsider looking into, you know, your your first solo, um, you know, foray, uh, foray, yes, that's the word. Um, as an outsider looking in, I noticed that the label wasn't really supporting you at all mm. as the way they should have. Um, did you feel that? I mean, did you see any of that? Cause you're looking at like when Justin and you came out and everything, usually like today, if the one directioners, you know, all come out with a solo album, I think they equally got the promotion and, you know, really the, uh, you know, the, uh, the power of the label behind them. Right. But with you, I just saw you getting the shit into the stick a lot of the times. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if that, is the case i don't know if it's, i was look, pissed sometimes stuff connects and sometimes it doesn't that's the reality of it look i'm i made a i made a record and you know sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't mm-hmm. i mean that's that's the way i feel about it but you're you making know? art and that's all that matters <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know it's like some of your favorite artists in the history of the world make records that nobody goes to buy yeah So that said, Schizophrenic debuted at number 17 on the Billboard 200, selling 52,000 copies in its first week. This was not good, but it wasn't awful. Like, if they had given it better promotion and put more money behind it, it could have steadily sold around that week by week, maybe gone up a little bit, definitely gone down a little bit, but it could have sold a bit more consistently. And they just didn't. They did not have the belief in it at all. And instead of deciding, okay, this single didn't really work out, so we're going to put everything into the second single and we're really going to push it and we're really going to put everything behind it, they just gave up. And its second week, the album dropped to number 82 and only sold 15,000 copies. And its all-time sales are just under 122,000 copies. So that is unfortunately dismal. It did not have a ton of success worldwide either. It peaked on the Canadian albums chart at number 59 and the UK albums chart at number 46. So unfortunately, even though JC, as an unbelievably talented artist, and the album itself were really promising... It just did not do the numbers or make the money that it should have. Not even close to what it should have. But even forget about expectations that we have as JC fans. I mean, not that I really am capable of being objective, but I feel like even objectively, if I wasn't a fan of JC and I just listened to this album as a music lover, I would be like, damn, this is interesting and funky and shows so much skill across the board to be able to do this many different styles and sounds as well as they did and this album just kind of disappeared now let's check out some of the reviews for schizophrenic so neil drumming of entertainment weekly wrote making pop music is a tricky business especially these days when just about any sound from southern rap to garage rock to dance hall reggae can pass for pop as long as it sells Certainly, J.C. Chazay has had a lot of practice in this arena, studying under and nabbing the occasional lead vocal from undeniable alpha frontman Justin Timberlake back when NSYNC were exactly what the kids were into. Now, see, 
that's not even true. This is why there's so many justice for JC people out there is because we're pissed that the media framed it like Justin was the quote undeniable alpha frontman. Honestly, I see JC as the alpha. JC, if you're just watching an instinct performance and you don't really know that much about them, JC is 100% the alpha. Like, Justin had a completely different vibe. Justin still doesn't have an alpha vibe to me. And that's not me dissing him. I don't, the alpha male is not like what I am attracted to. And I don't mean personally, I mean like as a performer, you know. He didn't nab the occasional lead vocal from Justin. Him and Justin shared the lead vocals. What are you talking about? Like at least listen to one in sync album before you start saying this shit. So he continues, the boy band thing has gone cold and the pop landscape is broadening to include the outcasts and the Nora Joneses of the world. With so many ways to get paid, how does a young, suddenly solo crooner even choose a direction? Timberlake simply lent the reins to pricey, proven producers Timbaland and the Neptunes and followed them down the hip-hop R&B road to Hitsville. Shazay, for his part, is walking a relatively riskier path. And again, I love him for that, but... All this is what I already talked about, you know? Justin was given the opportunity to work with people that knew how to put hits out there that were going to be number one on the charts. JC worked with his friends, his very talented friends, but still. By calling his debut schizophrenic, Shazay lets potential naysayers know from the jump, this album is all over the place on purpose. But his titular preemptive strike is a tad misguided. After all, it's not schizophrenic's eclecticism that is so alarming. It's the disc's familiarity in spite of that eclecticism. During schizophrenic's most unfortunate moments, Shazay awkwardly jams his own meaty voice into some pre-established mold, resulting in the faux sting chorus of Everything You Want or the New Order-ish affectation of All Day Long I Dream About Sex. But while few of these sonic revisitations are as soulless as Shake It, which desecrates the remains of Do It Till You're Satisfied, several are bona fide catchy, even with their influences peeking through like panty lines. <laughs> I have to give it to him. That's a good line. That's a good line for a review, even though, you know, it's not the nicest thing. But the cuts that are truly refreshing, the synth reggae skank Mercy and the warped tone ballad Build My World are the ones that don't, or at least don't immediately, call to mind other better songs lodged in the back of the average music fan's skull. Ultimately, the problem with his multi-referencing approach is that a subconscious game of Name That Tune kicks in at track one and by the time you've racked your brain over whether that's the Eurythmics or Corey Hart's sawtooth bassline sampled on track 11 come to me, it's damn near driven you crazy. It's Corey Hart, by the way, sunglasses at night no less. It does sound a lot like Sweet Dreams though, which is also one of my all-time favorite songs, so that's one of the reasons why I love come to me so much but there's about a million reasons he finishes the review by saying it's mighty distracting unless you were born in 1990 and you much prefer mtv to vh1 and right now you're thinking cory who <laughs> long live pop music well i actually do know who cory hart was because that was such an iconic song that i feel like it bled over into the 90s but yeah i mean do i agree with this review not really you guys have already heard a lot of what I think of this record and you'll hear even more in the next episode, but that's just an example of how mixed the reviews were. I think that they were more leaning toward positive if you put them all together. 
because at the very least, even people that didn't like the album, they were saying, well, at least it's original. At least he did something different. At least this, you know, isn't your typical pop album or your typical album from a solo male singer. Andrew Hickner of the Chicago Quill said that Schizophrenic was, quote, one of the most amazing debut CDs I've ever heard. JC's singing and songwriting style is far more sophisticated than his former teeny bopper peers, and the production on the CD is equally impressive. The varied virtues, whether they be the ballads, the dance tracks, the vocals, should ensure JC a wide and solid following, and I'm eagerly awaiting his follow-up already. The Boston Globe gave the album a great review, and this is written by Joan Anderman. We love you, Joan. You're an icon. Thank you for having taste. She wrote, We have Some Girls Dance With Women, the first single from Shazay's forthcoming solo debut. She describes Some Girls as a jungly clutch of rhythms iced with an itchy sweet melody, part conga line, part pop tune. It's sexy and silly and funky in a George Michael sort of way. The rest of the album is all over the place, surf rock, reggae, disco, techno, dreamy, balladry, acoustic pop. Shazay gives props to Jimi Hendrix, Duran Duran, and The Police. There is a gritty ditty called All Day Long I Dream About Sex, more on that later. Apparently, nobody hipped Shazay to the popular concept of stylistic focus or the crass notion of niche marketing or a very useful idea called developing a musical identity. Hence the album's title, which Shazay dreamed up because it seemed smart to pick a name that would explain and possibly even justify this wacky jumble of songs. Amazingly, it works. I created this nice little glue that gave me the freedom to do whatever I wanted to do, says Shazay. Some of it was jokes, some of it was inspirations, but it was free-flowing and it was healthy for me. It's what I needed to do. Shazay spent his time in NSYNC blending his voice, synchronizing his steps, tailoring his tastes, and generally skewing his life to the greater will of the boy band. I always had to think in terms of compromise, says Shazay, who has co-written many of NSYNC's songs. I would shoot down ideas in the writing process thinking, I don't think the guys will go for this. It isn't a bad thing, but you have to cater to four other people. Now at 26, after selling many millions of albums, Shazay feels like a novice polishing up his demos. While bandmate Timberlake wasted no time issuing his solo album, Shazay took his time. He went grocery shopping. I told you. <laughs> JC loves grocery shopping. I wonder where he shops in LA. Like, is he a Ralph's person? He went grocery shopping, reconnected with people, reacquainted himself, he says, with a simpler kind of life. Shazay, who lives down the road from his family in Orlando, swears that the only reason schizophrenic exists is because his pals kept bugging him to do it, and when your pals' names are Dallas Austin, Rip Rock, Alex G, Rob Bolt, Rock Wilder, and BT, friendly ribbing turns into high-wattage recording sessions with little effort. I didn't chase big names, says Shazay. I would call up my friends and say, what are you doing today? It was natural, hooking up and hanging out. We didn't go into the studio to make a hit and I didn't take myself too seriously. I think that's one thing that's missing in music. Which brings us to All Day Long I Dream About Sex, the incomplete but convenient acronym for a buzzed about and frankly irresistible track that Shazay says he made up for fun and produced in an hour. A chunky, synth-driven rocker, it's been dubbed the finger-pointing song, he says, because the enthusiastic supporters at his label, Jive, expect that, quote, everyone will know the words and point their fingers when they sing it. 
The song, by the way, is not meant to suggest that Shazay dreams about sex all day long, no more than Aerosmith's Love in an Elevator is a literal representation of Steven Tyler's locale of choice, although Shazay concedes laughing that all fiction contains a grain or more of truth. Who would say love in an elevator? It's talking about sex in a humorous way. I didn't care if my jokes offended people, I just did what I thought was funny. You know, I really respect Kid Rock's mentality, the fact that he's so free and willing to sing country and do hip-hop and just try things. I don't know if anyone wants to hear an album of my material. I figured why not throw it against the wall and see if it sticks. In addition to the challenge of distinguishing himself outside the well-established confines of his band, Shazay is dealing with the pressure of following in the footsteps of Timberlake, whose wildly successful solo career landed him on the cover of the current Rolling Stone magazine with the headline, The New King of Pop. Justin's a superstar. He's always had that spotlight on him, says Shazay. I don't feel that pressure. I make the tunes and hopefully people show up. I would love that. If they don't, I still get to go back in the studio and hang out with my friends. JC also talked about this album with sfgate.com and they wrote, The album sounds more like a porno soundtrack than some fifth generation variation of Backstreet's Back. Shazay flips through his record collection and pulls out all the best parts, stitches them together and creates the ultimate Frankenstein <laughs> pop album. Very excited for playing with fire. JC's upcoming musical still in the works. Stay tuned. They wrote that he uses Prince's filthy lyrics, Duran Duran's slap bass, Jimi Hendrix groans, Underworld's ecstasy beats, Aerosmith's bluesy guitar solos, the Eurythmics' futuristic synthesizers, and Led Zeppelin's wet libido. Ew. <laughs> Just, I don't need the word wet in there. It's, that's... Mm. Every song is like when they announce the nominees at the MTV Awards and just play the best 15 seconds of each track back to back. When I handed the album over to the record company, they just kind of scooted back from the table like, wow, this is a lot of information, Shazay says. Everyone in music more or less has a niche, and I didn't stick to a niche. It is what it is. For all his crooked choreography, it's hard to imagine Timberlake ever coming up with anything as brazenly erotic as All Day Long I Dream About Sex or as blissed out as Everything You Want. That's because when it came to collaborators, Shazay didn't turn to the overworked and overpriced hitmakers like the Neptunes and Richard Marks, but instead opted to work with British nerds like Basement Jacks and people with rad names like Rip Rock and Alex G. <laughs> At the end of the day, the reason why the album sounds different is because I have never been able to make one on my own before. When you work in a group situation, there's always compromise, and there was no compromise here. I just want to change people's minds, Shazay says. Everyone seems to be stuck in one mode, so afraid of change. I think that's a shame. It is a shame. And ultimately, I'm just glad that he got to do whatever the hell he wanted because... There is a chance that even if he didn't get to do whatever the hell he wanted, the album still wouldn't have been successful. And then it's like, okay, <laughs> I should have just done what I wanted to in the first place. So at least I could feel confident about the work that I put out because nothing is worse than listening to somebody else and taking advice and still failing. And you're like, damn, why didn't I just do what I wanted? In November 2003, MTV News announced that JC would be doing a little promotional tour prior to the release of Schizophrenic. And this tour started in San Diego on December 3rd and ended in Boston on December 20th. He played at smaller venues like the House of Blues and Irving Plaza in New York City. I unfortunately was not there. If I have a time machine, I'm going back. 
JC described this little tour as a grassroots thing. He said, to me, I'm at the beginning again, and I don't want to take everything for granted and say I'm too big for that. I actually want to earn my way up. There's something about club shows. I feel like I really have to get in a room like that. My big thing is I just want good vibes. I know I got to do business, but I don't want to be overly corporate. I'm going for something that feels organic and solid and real. I actually have the set list here and it's just amazing like to think that this is what he freaking did. I am so jealous (laughs) that these fans got to see this. So he did Some Girls, She Got Me, If You Were My Girl, One Night Stand, Build My World, Blowing Me Up, Come To Me, Let's Go Crazy. Let's Go Crazy is a Prince song that he covered on this tour, by the way, which makes perfect sense because Prince was obviously such a clear influence on Schizophrenic. Dear Goodbye, Game Over, which that's the NSYNC song, Everything You Want, Shake It, and Right Here By Your Side. I mean, can you imagine? I cannot even imagine seeing him do all of these songs live. Just amazing. Lucky for us, we have a little guest contribution to the podcast today that can help us imagine a little bit of what it was like to see JC live in 2003 and 2004. Because I met this wonderful NSYNC fan, Rachel, when I went to the JC show in Ojai, California this year. We were two of just a handful of fans that went to that event. I talked to Rachel about how she had seen JC solo before and asked her if she would be willing to send me a little voice memo all about her experiences. Now, like I said, JC did his 2003 promo tour before the album came out, but then he also did his own little tour in 2004 to support the album in between opening for Britney Spears. So listen to this because, oh my God, you are just, (laughs) you are not going to believe these details. It's, it's too good. Hi, Leah. It's Rachel. I am here to talk about my experience seeing JC by himself for his schizophrenic little mini tour he did back in 2003 and 2004. Now, I wanted to start off by saying that my first show ever was the Pop Odyssey tour in Pasadena. And then the next show I saw after that was a celebrity tour in Anaheim. And then after that, the next concert was JC's. So when it came to, you know, live performances, concerts, all I knew was in sync and the huge over-the-top shows they put on. So I wasn't really sure what to expect with seeing JC by himself for a couple of hours. And I was 16 at the time. I was lucky that I got to go to three shows. The first show was December 4th, 2003 in Anaheim at the House of Blues. And then I got to see uh, the April 19th, 2004 show in Anaheim again. And then the last show was April 22nd, 2004 um, in Los Angeles at the House of Blues on Sunset Boulevard. And it's funny because for all these shows, you know, I couldn't drive yet. So my mom was the one who dropped me off and picked me up. And I'm sure if she knew what the show entailed, you know, there was no way. She she would have never allowed me (laughs) to go. Now, this was before social media, of course, um, before you could, you know, tweet during the shows, before you could FaceTime people or live stream it. So for me, like, you know, what I would do, I would sometimes take notes or... um, 
I guess, you know, some people also would call people to, you know, to let them listen to the show or try to in that case. Um, so in case you're wondering, like, how can you remember these things from 20 years ago? It's because I would write everything down as soon as I got home. And I'm so glad that I did. So again, the first show I went to was um, in Anaheim at the House of Blues, December 4, 2003. And I remember Wade Robson was at this show because at one point before the show started, like some people in the crowd started screaming and I guess Wade was like in the balcony. And this was before his album was released. So we were hearing, you know, it for the first time. So what I remember was just overall how good he sounded how intimate the show was and how much he sweat. I mean, (laughs) I was lucky. I was in like the third row, so I was pretty close. And this was general admission. So, you know, everyone was just standing very close together. So I was in what I would, you know, consider the third row. I mean, this man could sing the directions, you know, on the back of a medicine bottle and it would be incredible, you know? So it didn't matter that I didn't know the songs, just seeing him that close, singing his heart out for a couple of hours was, you know, it was mind boggling. And besides his voice, he just looked so good. This was when he still had like the long, curly, dark hair, but it wasn't too long. This was before he got like the weird straight mullet. And like he would just run his hands through his hair constantly. Like he he just looked so perfect. And like this was for me, this was like peak JC. And this was not like the cookie cutter pop star JC we were all familiar with. This was like rock star JC. He was hot, he was sexy, and he was like into himself. This was him, like the way I look at it, with like no restrictions, just doing whatever the hell he wanted because he could. And I I think he wanted to show a different side of himself. Now, his show was highly sexual. That's like what I remember. There was a lot of hip thrusting. And I mean, he could just not keep his hands off himself. Like he was constantly just like touching his torso and... During Come To Me, he sings, walking with my fingers and I'm creeping down real slow. And he would like literally do what he was singing. So like he'd place his hand on his chest and then he'd slowly walk his fingers down his torso and his hand, of course, ends up on his crotch. And then he would just like hold himself and rock his hips into his palm. It was it was a lot kind of like, whoa, what did I just see? And then there was a few moments during the show where during the choreography, there would be like sexual sexual acts being simulated with his dancers. It was just overall, it was very naughty. So, you know, you have moments like that. And then, you know, he'd go into the next song where he would just be sitting on a stool, eyes closed, leaning back, pouring his heart out into a ballad. You just like couldn't take your eyes off of him. Like he was, he was just so captivating and it's funny to think like how quickly he would go into a different mode you know I I remember he he was having so much fun you know he was he stuck his tongue out a lot he just felt his energy was loose and he just seemed like he, he was having so much fun you know 
And then of course the next song he would, you know, he'd go back to being like this, this sex God. <laughs> and then in between some of the songs, you know, he would talk to us and he'd just be, you know, the sweet dorky JC we all know and love. He talked to us, you know, quite a bit. And I remember he told us how he appreciated us coming out when there wasn't even a record out yet. And, you know, he said how he was part of a team, but he had to do some things on his own. And he made a comment about how, you know, one of his good friends was doing really well. And obviously that was, you know, a nod to Justin, which I love. Now, when he's saying days go by, which we know is like this heartbreaking, emotional ballad, like, you know, he was just up there singing. And then all of a sudden, he just, he like literally jumped and just started belting out the bridge of the game is over. I mean, this, this came out of nowhere. And you could feel how pissed he was when he was singing this. Like, he was almost screaming it. Like, the, the veins in his neck and his arms were just bulging. And his face was just, like, red. And then at the end of the song, you know, we're all kind of just like, what the hell was that? And he goes, I hate her. <laughs> So I'm not sure who she was, but I'm sure with all your research you've done, you probably know who it is. Uh, there was also another moment during um, One Night Stand that I wanted to point out. You know, not my favorite song of his. It's, you know, it's just a little corny, but um, he wore like this ridiculous coat that had like a fur collar. And he was talking, you know, at the end of the song, he's like, this jacket is so frustrating. I keep getting the hair in my mouth. I'm like a cat. So I just felt like I had to bring that up because, you know, now and 20 years later, we have Meow Mix, JC. I still can't believe it. And I don't think I mentioned this, but like he danced his ass off. Okay. Yeah. Not every song had choreography for some of the numbers. It was just him and the mic stand, you know, being his rock star self. And then some of the other songs, you know, his dancers would come back. And I remember like there were their wardrobe was really low budget like they were basically in panties and like cami tanks the whole time but like his dancing it fit him so well when I got to see the last show that I got to attend of his um that was April 22nd at House of Blues on Sunset um Lance was actually there and it was I think he was in the balcony and it was <laughs> this is so exciting because at the time Lance was still in the closet but like you know most of us knew, you know, we, we knew, okay? And at this time, he was dating a guy named Jesse. And we knew they were dating because not only did they, like, do everything together, but they would share each other's clothes. So, like, it was just so exciting <laughs> to see them there in person. At this show in particular, normally the the show ended with some girls, but he was like, this is LA and my friends are here tonight. He went into 100 Ways, which I think was the first time he had performed it live, if I'm not mistaken. And that song is, it's probably, don't kill me, but it's probably like my least favorite song on the album. But when he performed it live, the energy in the room was just through the roof. I mean, we we lost our shit, like immediately. We weren't just singing along with him, like we were yelling at him people were jumping up and down and just like losing their minds like I wouldn't say it was like a mosh pit but the energy was the same 
And JC was just jumping all over the place and belting this song out and going insane. I can't imagine how it felt for him to just have that energy returned to him in that moment. I can't imagine what it was like for him trying to come down from those shows. Like we all knew how crazy energetic he was during in-sync performances, but like this was just another level, I'm telling you. I can't imagine, you know, what it was like coming down from that high after these shows, especially because the audience was so much smaller. The venues were smaller. And I think you just feel it even more when you're in an intimate space like that. So, yeah, that was my um, experience seeing him, you know, 20 years ago, which is crazy to think about. To this day, it's like a little hard for me sometimes to listen to his album because of what ended up happening you know, at the time, it didn't really feel like seeing him perform solo was like a once in a lifetime chance. But now looking back at it, of course, that's what it was. And I just remember how confident he was, how much fun he was having, how happy he seemed. I'm very lucky that I was able to experience that. You know, not just once, but three times. And that, you know, my mom supported my fangirlness. <laughs> <laughs> and you know this, Leah, um, because I met you at this event, but I was lucky enough to meet JC this summer at the event he performed at in Ojai, California. And I was thinking to myself as I was driving, you know, up to the venue, I was like, you know, if I get the chance to meet him tonight, like, what am I going to say to him? You know, how do you sum up to a person what they mean to you, what their music has meant to you for like the last 25 years. So when I did get to meet him, you know, after I introduced myself, I said to him, I said, you know, I have to tell you the last time I saw you perform live by yourself was for your solo tour back in like 2003, 2004 at, you know, the House of Blues shows. And he was like, oh yeah. <laughs> I don't think he was expecting me to say that because I'm, you know, I'm assuming most of the time when he's approached by fans, you know, it's probably all about in sync. But like, I had to let him know that, you know, I was one of the supporters back then. And I, you know, I told him, I was like, yeah, I was, you know, at the one in Anaheim and Sunset. And he's like, oh, yeah, is that at Disney Springs? And I was like, no, um, I think they call it downtown Disney. I think he was getting mixed up with the one in Florida. And then we were talking about how the venue on Sunset Boulevard has since been demolished. And now it's like a luxury apartment building, of course. But that was just a really special moment to to be able to tell him that, you know, I got to experience it and how amazing it was and how now his voice is just still so incredible. It's, you know, it's amazing how it hasn't changed at all. And it still affects me so much. All right, I know you're all going to ask me, who is the girl that he said, I hate her? I feel like it has to be Bobby, but I don't really get that because he was still dating her after Celebrity came out and the game is over was on Celebrity. So, I mean, I guess most of us are guilty of going back to our toxic exes. So maybe, <laughs> maybe he said the game was over, but the game really wasn't over until they got back together and broke up a few times because this is before he dated Eva Longoria and that was pretty public that was they started being seen together I want to say like August September of 2004 so that's after this and he didn't have a serious girlfriend that we knew of 
It has to be Bobby. I don't think it's Nikki Deloach. So it has to be Bobby. Yikes. <laughs> Especially because Bobby still has JC like on her website, but whatever. If you want to hear more about JC's love life, I did a Patreon episode on that a couple months ago. So you can join for that tea because we're not putting that here on the public feed. Anyway, thank you so much, Rachel, for that because wow. I mean, I knew it was sexual, but <clears throat> maybe it's a good thing that I was not present for these shows. Uh, I was a bit younger than 16, so I think that that would have been like my sexual awakening. I think I would have gone through puberty at that show. (laughs) I don't even know, man, but it's just awesome to hear about JC's artistic expression at that time and all the sexuality. It seems like it was really natural for him and it was genuinely what he wanted to express and it wasn't just something that he was doing to try to get attention or – to keep the focus on him. I feel like Britney was pressured a lot of the time, even when she didn't necessarily want things to be so sexual. I feel like she was pressured to ramp it up and add the sexuality. We know Jessica Simpson went through that as well, where they were like, you need to get even skinnier, you need to have abs, you need to wear a belly shirt, things like that. And it feels like JC just genuinely wanted to express his sexuality this way and I think that's awesome but one of the things that I think made this album not do so well is that Jive was also confused about how to promote him because he would be on like Nick at Night or not Nick at Night what was it called Snick remember that or Teen Nick remember and he would be promoting this album and it's like uh (laughs) there's 12 year olds sitting behind you you know and that's not JC's fault I'm not saying that oh he was exposing young kids to this he should be able to do whatever he wants as an artist but his label should be behind him promoting him in a way that says hey this is more for adults in sync is for all ages, this album is not something that 14-year-olds are going to relate to. It's just not, you know? And so maybe put him on shows that were a little more adult or put him on shows where he can openly talk about like, yeah, you know, I'm a 26-year-old man. I am a sexual person and this is just what I wanted to express on this record. And maybe the next record, I will barely be sexual at all, but this is just what I felt like doing in the moment. I think that it was confusing for him because the album was saying don't do in sync all over again and also don't be like Justin but you got to do something different and then he does something different but they're still marketing him like he's doing in sync music and that's just not what he was doing he actually fit in perfectly on Britney's Onyx Hotel tour because if you've seen that show holy moly I mean she even said in her book recently that it was too sexual she literally said that and JC was giving the same vibe on his album I actually think it would have been awesome if JC and Britney did a performance together or collabed on a song because they were really in the same place like they had two very very overtly sexual album so it made sense for them to team up on tour so popgirls.com talked to jc about his solo touring and they said touring by yourself in the intimate setting of a club has got to be significantly different from the latest in sync stadium mega tour has there been an upside to this tour that you didn't expect or a downside jc replied the upside of touring clubs is definitely the intimacy being able to touch fans hands again and being able to really connect with faces in the crowd that is always an amazing thing There's not much downside to playing a smaller venue other than maybe some people didn't get in. You want to connect to everyone. The other thing about smaller shows is that your imagination and creativity for what you want the show to be like has limits because the limits of the space won't permit certain things. When you have a bigger room, if you have an idea about a song, the sky is really the limit. You can really pull off some cool and entertaining things. Yeah, like flying in the air above the crowd like NSYNC did. (laughs) 
So remember also when Rachel said that the costumes on the dancers were very low budget? So Pop Girls also asked JC, You covered Prince's Let's Go Crazy. Your band wore doctor's outfits, which while in keeping with the institutional theme of schizophrenic, uh, it's so bad, <laughs> it's so bad, <laughs> are also reminiscent of the costumes worn by certain members of the revolution while on tour with Prince in the 80s. Is there a name change to an unpronounceable symbol in your future too? And he said, I hadn't even remembered that the people in the revolution wore doctor's outfits. I just wanted to fit the schizophrenic theme. And you know, you can't play an instrument with a straight jacket on. <sighs> so the next best thing was to be a hospital orderly, I guess. That's why everybody wore those and they're easy to tear off. And hey, it's a budget thing. Girl. <laughs> Thank God he did not put those band members in straight jackets. I mean... Did no one say to him, JC, this is not okay? I just, I can't. So let's end things on a better note here. The transition Rachel was talking about where he just suddenly starts playing the game is over. There actually is an opportunity to see this live. So there is a performance on YouTube that you guys can check out. It's called JC Shazay, Dear Goodbye, and the Game is Over live at K-Fest. Thank you to InSync Daily Brazil for uploading that. And it is really cool how suddenly he just launches into the Game is Over from singing this calm, lovely, beautiful, sad song, Dear Goodbye. And then he transitions into the Game is Over and he goes right to the bridge where he's saying, How could you think that you could do me like that? And it's just such a quick snap into that. And I think that it kind of perfectly represents both sides of a breakup. It's like you have that sad part where you're just like, I, I'm so sad. I love them. I wish we could we could get back together. You know, it, uh, it's, I just feel horrible. And then you go into a rage <laughs> and you're like, but I don't want to get back together with that bitch. Like, it's just, it's a really, really good way to artistically express that and with that i am going to say goodbye to you today stay tuned the next episode will be out really soon it's not going to take as long as these episodes have usually taken i am very very excited to release part two of this schizophrenic episode as i said i have christine on from shazay daily and we are going to go through track by track and break down our thoughts on every single song on schizophrenic so in the meantime, make sure you send me messages. Let me know what your favorite song on the album is and why. And what do you think of the album as a whole? Were you excited when you heard it? Did you think it was amazing? Did you love it? Or were you kind of disappointed by it and wish that it would have been a more cohesive sound or something like that? All opinions are welcome. And I'm just so grateful to all of you for listening to this series. It's been going on for so long now and we're in the home stretch and I have had the most amazing time getting to know all of you JC and InSync fans it's just been wonderful to be a part of this online fandom I love it so much and I love all you guys so thank you so much for listening and supporting and I will see you on the next one bye everybody Thank you so much for listening to the Ashley and Jessica cast. I'm your host, Leah Russo. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Capriya Moon. That's at C-A-P-R-I-A-M-O-O-N. 
and follow the podcast at Ashley and Jessicast on Instagram and at Ashley Jessicast on Twitter. Please let me know your thoughts on the show. I would absolutely love to hear Ashley and Jessicast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. See you next time.